0: Hello. Hi. How are you? And welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast.
1: I'm Kara Clank, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU, we talk crimes, and we have celeb guests. We're really excited for this one. It's Jewish-themed, unorthodox. Let's get into it. I actually did see someone on the train um, reading a anti-Jew book. No. What book? So it was a Nation of Islam published book and I'm sure the Jews were involved in the slave trade but it said the tr- the secret truth to the Jews and blacks the Jews like what the Jews did to enslave black people was like But is um, that the not minor the movie
0: that Kyrie Irving talked about? Yes. It is, right Casey? That's why Kyrie Irving's in trouble because he like retweeted something about a movie that's like basically that whole thing about Jews and Blacks.
1: Well, yeah. So she was reading it on the train and kept nodding her head like, no, not these Jews. But it's like also Black people get to be mad at who they want to, but it's like, you know, that's what the Nazis want. They want us all to hate each other. Like, it's really fucked up, but it did make me feel uncomfortable. I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah. And in LA, one of my husband's favorite bookstores had a arson attack that was anti-Semitic and they left a note like they they don't want to just like destroy a Jewish own business they want to like leave a note so that you know for sure this is because you're Jewish like I it's like so my synagogue got burned down when I was a kid
1: oh my god really arson baby
0: yeah. I mean, I don't want to start the episode off about how much uh people hate Jews, but I do want to tell all my Jews out there to fucking keep your heads up because it's scary what's going on with people. But I will say, I know we're in the time machine and I it, but we're recording this on election week and I was really really nervous about how the election was going to go and we had a lot of good wins. I don't know how it's going to end up. Like, don't quote me if it ends up like, because a lot of the races are still being tallied, but like Fetterman beating Oz, fucking hell yeah. We had a lot of good wins and everyone acted like it was going to be this democratic, uh, Dem- like Democrat bloodbath and it wasn't. And I was really happy about that. California w- voted to put abortion in the constitution. Fuck yeah, right to abortion. And yeah, and in other election news, I just want everyone to know that as of this recording, 680 people found out that Julia Roberts and Eric Roberts were related because of me.
1: So You're such a dumb bitch. I thought this was gonna be about the vote was 4951.
0: 4951 to me for me. <laughs> so it
1: was close. I'm leaving but the podcast. So- this is the last episode. We're ending on. <laughs> we're ending I here. just could
0: not believe how many messages I was getting of people being like, Kara, I didn't know. You told me. <laughs>
1: This is a fucking conspiracy, and I call for a recount.
0: Oh, my God. You're an election denier? i Lisa,
1: denier. I can't believe this. Full election denier. I'm definitely um, not an election denier, but I think the 9-11 was an inside job. Nice. <laughs> you have certain, like, pet conspiracy theories, like faves. And I think people are human lizards living under the Denver airport. I do. I don't yeah. know what to tell you.
0: Are you a jet fuel can't melt steel beams... Person too with tower number seven?
1: I don't know the yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I watched Loose Change, I watched Zeitgeist, yeah. and I was an an impressionable youth and it it penetrated my brain. I don't it's know what death. to tell you. Yeah. It yeah. definitely stuck, but I don't trust our government. So like I would I put it past them? I don't know. Yeah. But
0: it's just like wherever Republicans win, those elections are fine. You know what I mean? <sighs> <laughs> Everyone's like, "Oh, no cheating here. Those voting machines work perfect. But what else is going on? We can get off politics. What else is going on?
1: I'm in New York. I'm moving hotels. I'm uh, shooting. I basically I don't yeah, I feel wild, but blessed.
0: You are gonna have like, I feel like you need, you're gonna have a very restful Thanksgiving week. You're gonna need to, like chill I'm shooting and the week of Thanksgiving. You need a restful week of Thanksgiving. You need to like decompress. You've been the busiest person I've ever seen.
2: Yeah,
1: it's really wild because it's everything I've wanted. And I've been saying like, I wish I could enjoy it more, but I've been bogged down by the details, the admin and the logistics to like truly be in the moment and have a good time. Like that is what I'm upset about myself right now. Like my brain is so overwhelmed that I'm not even, I'm becoming who I don't like. I'm being someone that's like, oh God, these flights, my long shooting hours. And it's like <laughs> truly what I've wanted. Like I love our podcast. I love watching SVU, but like everything at once has made me not be able to be my true joyful self, I feel, but yeah. I'll figure it out.
0: But it's only a few more weeks too. And then like one project wraps up and hopefully you can have a little bit more downtime.
1: Yeah, or never again. But I just yeah. need a little college intern. Like, I just need someone reading my emails. You
0: need a pickles. Can I tell you, you would be what? What's a, who's pickles? Pickles was one of Sonia's interns.
1: I do remember. That's you need a so pickles funny. for college credit only. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Um, what <laughs> a deep housewife's cut you just brought up. <laughs> No, like I um I was looking for a different email and then I found an email that was due at 10 a.m. on that day and I looked at it at 9.51 a.m. And I was like, oh, that's the universe. This is like amazing. I wow. had another kind of witchy moment where I um I was getting my hair blown out and I was just like on my phone and I saw a picture of Asif Ali, a comic and an actor mm-hmm. who I enjoy. And I went, oh, he's in Brooklyn. Fuck, I wish I could see him. Like... I I miss him. I don't see him in LA anymore. Walk to Caroline's for my show and I bump into him. Wow. And he noticed me. He goes, Lisa. And then we got to like chat for 10 minutes and I was like, you won't even understand. I was just thinking how, like I wish I got to hang out with you. So i felt, that's fucking nuts. And New York feels New York is small. I feel like I bumped into people on the
0: street all the time there, even though it's so big, it's like small.
1: Um no, it's my favorite thing to run into people that I know in public. Like I really get off on it. I like it. I I don't know if it reminds me of sex in the city or what, but I just love a wait, hey, like I love
0: that. Wait, speaking of searching for so I was searching for an email the other day and I randomly came upon the email that was the receipt for the last pair of like sneakers I bought, like for workout sneakers. And it was from five years ago. And I was like, I cannot believe I haven't bought myself new sneakers in five years. And I remembered what you asked me in when we were on tour. You, you got this like internet question that was like, what's something that you always buy more of even though you already have it and like you don't need any more of it? And you were like, that would be nothing for you. And I was like, you're right. And when I saw the email, I was like, I need to buy myself new sneakers. This is fucking crazy. I like let
1: things go for so long. Well, it's funny because you're like, I'm so shocked. I have it. And I'm like, I'm not shocked. Anyone that knows you is not shocked. <laughs> Anyone that is outside of your head could have told you. And then if you do get sneakers, I think you're going to find it in a group and some woman's going to drop them off on your front lawn. No, my
0: my in-laws <laughs> gave me $100 to Amazon and for my birthday. And I was so... Like overwhelmed of what to buy with a hundred bucks on Amazon, that I was like, "This is it! I'm gonna get the sneakers." So I got them. I already have them. I've already been wearing them. But my friend, I was telling her this whole story yesterday, and was like, "Yeah." And Lisa says, "Like that, I, I'm like not a person that accumulates things." And she goes, "Yeah." And it makes you very hard to buy gifts for. And I was like, "I don't even know what to get for myself." I had a hundred dollars to Amazon for a month that I didn't know what to buy. <laughs> I don't, yeah. even, I don't know what I want. So I don't know if anyone has good gift ideas
1: for the person that doesn't know ever what they like, please tell me. Well, speaking of, so I, you know, I was in town in LA for one day and I, I you know, we need dresses for our shows. We need to look cute. So yeah. I had an ASOS package come in in that day. One pair of shoes I bought was a little big. So I was like, fuck, but you have to return it within 28 days and I'm just not going to be back in LA. And so, I I, like, will ASOS believe me? Like, I don't know how to describe my lifestyle to people. Like, in this week, I've been in three separate hotels, like, just shifting around town because, like, and I'm just, like, I don't know how to explain to them, like, please just let me return them at a later date. Like, I just, like, I'll buy other ones right now. I'll tell you something, they won't care, but I've also heard people do things like just return something past the return window and they get their money back. I've heard other people say that. Okay, maybe I'll try it, but they send you like a warning. Like when you read about it, it's like, and if you do this, we will send it back and charge you for the shipping, you dumb bitch. Like they're not playing around. But we're all wearing. Why can't you ship it from where you are? I don't have the shoes. They're in LA. Oh, so I got the package. I packed a bunch of the dresses. One dress is like uh, not fitting me either. But I was like, whatever. I'll take the dresses. But the shoes, I'll be back. I'll be back that week, and then I'm, now I'm not back. And do you want me to go? I'll go return the shoes. It's no, not you that do it. No, you you can't. You can't. I can't. Well, you, you can't know what keep I can do. Doing
0: stuff. You know what I can do though. People do this all the time in my mom group that I'm on. That's like th- like buy sell trade group that I'm on for clothes. They're always like, I miss the return window. Who wants to buy these for like? We'll brand do new.
1: Put lower the price by $10, you know. Well, they're cute ass Reeboks. Like they're really cute. Yeah. I just someone um will buy them. I've just been I just needed like comfy cute sneakers with a dress. I've kind of mine are falling apart, but I know Adidas sizes really well. But Reebok, I'm I'm still new. Yeah, in yeah The yeah. Reebok world. Um, no, it is wild. I um yeah, and I told Julia about this because we're both shopaholics, my good friend, and we were just laughing that you won't get anything.
0: Ever. Yeah and our other friend Lauren who was who, who I was seeing was like she was like I think I have a shopping problem and I was like that actually like gives me so much anxiety to think about having a shopping problem. Like
1: Well, yeah, because our friend is so rich and she's always at the limits because she just <laughs> loves to look good. And she does. Like and it's so oh, even when I knew her in the smaller part, it's just like it's oh, cuz even this like house that our friend is in, she's like this is our forever home. I'm like, bitch, you won't be here in 2 years. Like I've known you. <laughs> I've known you since 2009. There's no like you she just loves it, but I have it too. But I have an addiction to everything. That's my problem. All of it. Yeah. I need to go get, like, I don't know what I need. I was about to say, let's go do drugs. That's another addiction. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to be free. But, like, I th- I'm just blaming being an immigrant. But, yeah, I want to shop. I want to eat. And I want to talk shit. And I want to, like, be in a mess. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's what to say. It's why they love you,
0: girl. Um, I mean, I like to eat and talk shit. I just... The sh- shopping annoys me. I, I do like having new things, but shopping annoys
1: me. And But you also don't like shopping online because I remember when we needed dresses for I a friend's wedding. I was like, just order a bunch of shit and you can return. And you're like, no, I have to go to Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom. Yeah. I forgot which one's yours, but... I I went to both, but Bloomingdale's is where I have the most success. Oh my God. So someone wrote to me going, Lil Frex texts me and goes, Bob the drag queen from one of your shows, right? I go, not any of my shows. I mean, I opened for him once and we did a roast one time, but like, she goes, oh, I thought maybe Drag Race. I go, well, he's from Drag Race. And she goes, by your shows, I mean like Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) Your programs, your stories. (laughs) Yeah, because in my head, I'm like, I would remember working with the legend that is Bob the Drag I'm like, my show, like what? But I thought it was cute that she thought this like juggernaut was my show. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's just like, It's like, I don't know, something about it was sweet to me in some silly way. But when are we getting a new season of Drag Race? New Year's Day, right? Usually it's New Year's Day, but I don't know for sure. I'll, I can ask my contacts. Yeah, um, ask the contacts. Ask the contacts. And tonight, just so everyone knows, why don't you tell everyone where you're going, and then you'll be able to fill them in next week. Oh yeah, tonight
0: I'm going to Elton John in concert. I'll let you guys know next week. I'm so excited. It's like a bucket list. I want. I've always. I really wanted to see him and Billy Joel together, but I'm happy to see them separately. And just excited. I'm going to go see. Uh, the show down in San Diego with my college friends. So I'm excited. One is flying out from New York. So it's
1: uh, pretty, pretty fun. Well, it um, is because I feel like it was your pre-pandemic plan. Like this has been a long time coming. This we bought these time. tickets a while ago. Yeah. Like we
0: bought these tickets, and I was like, "Don't think about the money; just buy them, and then it'll feel free later." Um, and no, it, it does; it does; it does feel free once the credit card bill gets paid. We'll go it does to feel Billy free. Joel
1: together because you know he does the Madison Square Garden once a month. Yes, I would love that. I want to um, see fucking Billy Joel so badly. Let me really quickly before we
0: start this episode, do another quick plugarino of our tours. We, when you get when this episode comes out, we will have just returned from a whirlwind week in the Midwest, and we want to warm up, so we will be in Florida on the 30th of November. We will be in Orlando. Please come see us on the 1st of December. We will be in Tampa. Yes, please come see us, and then we're doing an afternoon show in Miami on Saturday, December 3rd. It's afternoon. You can do it before you go out. You can do it and then go home and get ready to get out. Go out. You can come and get blacked out and that can be your whole day. I don't even care. If you have friends in Miami, please send them. We really need this Miami show to work out because I don't know. I just love Miami and uh, I've never been and I'm excited and I don't want no one to come. So please come see us. And then after that, we will be in Sacramento on December 8th. And we will be in Texas, baby. We're coming back. Dallas on the 13th and Houston on the 14th. So those are our December dates. And we can't wait to come see you guys before the holiday season really kicks our asses. And then as, if in case you didn't know, We posted it on our social, but Boston, we have added a second show. We've added a 4 p.m. show for Boston. I know it's in January, you guys, but the first show sold out and the second show selling pretty well. So go get your ticks for Boston. Philly, we're going to be there on the 19th of January. New York, we're going to be there on the 20th. I think we're sold out, but you could check. Um, And then Hartford, Connecticut, baby. This Connecticut girl is coming back to Hartford. Come see us on the 22nd of January. I was so long talking about the tour, but I have to do it because and we really we have want you fun guys And to we come. want uh, people to fucking come. You know what and I mean? And it kills me when I get a message. It's like, how did I not know you were coming to Philly? And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like we do nothing but talk about the tour. So I just want to get the word out and tell your friends that live in those cities to come see us, even if they don't even listen to the pod. We're converting new listeners with every live show. The drag alongs love it. People that just like, Are interested in seeing two funny ladies dissect a comedy show that is not a comedy show, but make it a comedy show. That's what you should come
1: see. I don't know if you've heard, but we have a dynamic. (laughs) People can't get enough of the dynamic. They just
0: love the dynamic, baby. Oh my God, that's merch. Do you love our dynamic? (laughs)
1: Um, Okay, we got to start the episode. I mean, you still have to take me to my birthday dinner. I know. I literally keep wanting to ask you to tell me a date. You picked a spot. And I
0: almost went, send me a date. And then I was like, that will drive her over the edge. If I'm like, look at your calendar and pick a date. Like, so I didn't say anything, but I want you to know that I am ready to enter it into my calendar at any moment.
1: I think the birthday dinner is slowly going to become a birthday Christmas dinner. It's going to be like a Hanukkah dinner eventually.
0: Yeah, like your birthday was three months ago.
1: I picked a great place and I my friend took me there and I was, the veg. we're going to get vegetarian fajitas and we're going to... Live. We're gonna live. Or even the shrimp. I got, tri- but like, I think we're gonna have the time of our lives and we're not driving. The margaritas were giant. Yeah. And we're, I cannot wait to do this. We'll go live. Oh my God. When we yes. do this, we'll go live. <laughs> we'll go live, baby. Oh my God. Wait. Casey has a dog and the dog is wearing a sweater. I think that's worth letting them know what we're looking at. Oh <laughs> my God. Uh, listen, so Casey
0: waved the flag at us 10 minutes ago. He probably has to go walk his dog. We have to end this. You have to go Please. to San Diego. Yeah, I got to go to San Diego. I'm not even packed. All right, listen. We also wanted to tell you guys a little fun announcement that we have new merch up in our merch store. Thank you for your patience. A lot of you have been asking us, like, what's up with the merch? There's nothing up there because we were transferring from one merch company to another. Now we're at a super cool new merch company, and we have an awesome new sweatshirt up. A really cute funny beanie that says is this merch it's amazing if you want to be like meta with your fashion I also love the sweatshirt you'll never guess what color it is purple and um, we have other stuff on its way right now it's just a couple new items and it, the tank top and the zip up hoodie is there as well so head on over it's the holiday time it's people's birthdays let's give gifts uh, I love all of our merch it's all so cute um, and there is a link in our bio uh, or you can go to exactly right media com slash shop and you can go to the that's messed up uh, part but we will also be Plug in this on our page, but I wanted to let you know also that we will be doing a Black Friday sale. So from November twenty fifth to November twenty eighth, everything will be twenty percent off with the code Goodbye two thousand twenty two. So that's G O O D B Y E T two zero two two. So Goodbye two thousand twenty two, and we will get you guys um, that Black Friday sale. And then if you want to order stuff for delivery by twelve twenty three, which is like the day before. Christmas Eve, you gotta get those orders in by December eighth. So head on over and get some merch at exactlyrightmedia.com slash shop or at the link in our bio. Enjoy this episode. It's an awesome one. I love the interview. You guys are gonna love it.
1: Okay. We're doing unorthodox. And it's silly because I kept searching for orthodox and nothing was coming up. Me (laughs) too. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, okay, got it. So it's season nine, um, episode 13. And it came out in 2008. Um, And we'll get this party
0: started. Season nine is a banger episode. We've done so many season nines on tour. I mean, it's a banger
1: season. Like it's just so many... Hot F. Yeah. I actually in bed, uh oh, it's about to start playing. <laughs> um, yep. I was watching Blinded in Bed season nine, episode seven this morning. So It is a banger. So we open with uh, uniformed officers, uh, wanding students. Uh, You know, there's metal detectors and there's a blonde curly haired boy coming into school. And he's like, it's unconstitutional. Uh, But the wand goes off and she's like, what's in the pocket? He says nothing. She of course digs inside. It's a cell phone and she takes it away and it's a flip phone and it's cute. This is Munch Uh, as a child. This is child Munch going through security. (laughs) I think much worse. Cause yeah, then he cries freedom of speech And I said, I'm worried about this boy. Munch is like the best case scenario, I think for (laughs) conspiracy theorists. Like this boy is a libertarian. He was at (laughs) Occupy Wall Street. And um, he, I don't know where he was on January 6th, but... I don't trust it. (laughs) But he's wearing like punk clothes. So who knows? Maybe his parents (laughs) are just, you know, goths. So she says, um, she goes next after she takes the cell phone away. And it's a small boy in a little bowl cut. And he's limping in pain. And there's a really strange look on his face. He's wearing a long sleeve green and white horizontal striped polo. And he sets off the detector as well. And he reaches into his pocket and takes out a calculator. There's no way. Are calculators metal? Like, I, I didn't think so,
0: but they, they must have, I mean, they have like metal inside, but yeah, I wouldn't think that that would set off a, a, a unless it's like a TI-82, one of the big ass not. ones, but it, it wasn't. Was it was not. It was not. It was not. Like I miss those. Oh man. I used to play games
1: on mine. I had bowling. <laughs> yes. I had duck hunt. <laughs> I loved the duck hunt. I loved Pac-Man and fall down. But those are my that I really really. Oh wow, enjoy. you're younger than me, I so I, I had bet snake you games too. I think yeah, snake. But games, I think, had
0: expanded by the time you had a TI eighty two because like we had two. Like I don't think I had Pac Man. That would have been my obsession. That's my favorite video game.
1: But also, it's fucked up that they made kids buy eighty to hundred dollar calculators. Crazy, like, like that's bullshit. Crazy, and like you for older math classes, you like had to have one. Yeah, because you have to graph stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to forget about this the moment I walk out of this classroom. Like, why, like what the fuck? I just, I'm still, I am I think it's fucked up. Maybe today, though, it it's like that. Chromebooks or something, like where kids
0: all get one and like the school gives them one. I don't know. I'm sure teachers are going to write in and be like, not at my school, but like, I don't know. You're right. It is crazy. Like, I went to a, we all had to buy a $100 calculators. It was wild.
1: Yeah. Against that. Um, But the calculator, this one, not a TI. This is a little one. Um, It's covered in blood. But the officer asks if it's ketchup and turns <laughs> him around. <laughs> Which is wild. Would you is. sit in some ketchup or something? <laughs> but there's a pool of blood stained on his corduroys. And she's like, are you bleeding? And he's like l- super lightheaded and uh, passes out. And she yells to call an ambulance. We cut to a classic walk and talk. We, you know, we have Benson Stabler and a local uh, white lab coat doctor named Dr. Singh. And we get the scoop. And it's David Zelinsky. He's 10 years old and he's lost a lot of blood. And they have to transfuse him. Uh, the mothers, they're talking to a social worker and they ask about the rape kit. Semen and a pubic hair and sperm um, is still motile. And he says, wait, so does that mean it just happened? And it did. It happened within five hours. Um, and I guess the sperm are still in action, which I don't know. I don't love that. <laughs> but, it's, but this isn't the only attack. And there's actually evidence of prior trauma that's been ongoing for months at least. And the detectives look shocked. And then a close up of Benson's face before we march into the credits. And now we're in the credits. Benson's in her asymmetrical posh spice era. You know, we have a huge <laughs> bang on one side yes. and then super, super short on the other side, you know, behind her ear. And she's wearing a brown leather jacket, which I like. And she's talking to David and his mother's in the room too. And he says he feels okay. And then he's just like, just leave me alone. Um, but she's like, who hurt you? And uh, he, and she's like, I know it's hard, but we need to find out who did this too. And he cries and says, I didn't do anything r- wrong. And of course, Olivia knows that. Hello. Um, and so now this little boy, he is played by a man named Braden Lee Masters. And he's a musician now and is in a band with 1.7 million followers, um, and the, and, which is a lot. And they're going to open up for Blink-182. But oh. what's wild um, in Mexico and stuff, but what's even more wild in this band is Dylan Minnette. And he played, um, he was in... Yes. yes, the dropout. He played Tyler Schultz, and he is in Thirteen Reasons Why. But he's in Learning Curve. Yes, he played Luca. Yes, <laughs> so yes. Oh my God, this, this Luca. And that's the episode with Betty Gilpin, Martha Stewart, Tony Hale. Um, and he lied about being molested by Tony Hale, but really he was having a relationship with Betty Gilpin, who he ended up shooting. And then Rollins flirted with him as he got shot in the head by a sniper. But and the band uh, is called Wallows. Yeah, the one I can't believe these two SVU alums are in a band together. So I think they were both on a um on a show called Men of a Certain Age, and I wonder if yeah. that's how they met. Yeah, interesting. But they both did Goosebumps things, and they've both been consistently acting throughout their whole youth. Okay, so Braden David Zelinsky still acts as well. Yeah, Braden Lee Masters.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was calling him David Zelinsky. That's his, his his little boy. <laughs> <No>. character.
1: <laughs> So yeah, so that's so that cool. was very exciting Good to put together. Yeah, so now we're back to the episode, and this kid's just an incredible actor. You know, he's yeah, really cute. I feel he's so crying. For him. Yeah. I really. Annie's in a cult. It's a lot. Um, and Benson's <laughs> letting him know it's not your fault, it's not your fault. And he begs his mom, like, please, not right now. And Olivia agrees to talk to his mom outside for a minute. And they go to chat while we see Stabler on the phone telling Warner to rush the DNA. Um, now my mom, uh, the my mom. The mom <laughs> is confused why her son never told her. And Benson explains that because whoever did this probably threatened to hurt him or, you know, or you if he told. And the mom is crying and she doesn't know how he was in the morning because her ex-husband had him that morning. And he got super religious. She calls him a zealot and that he lost all interest in her and just hung out with all the rabbis all the time and he moved to Williamsburg. Uh, David calls for his mom and she runs off. So the Benson uh, tells Stabler he should talk to the dad since he probably won't listen to a woman, which obviously is correct. And um, he said, so Stabler says he's going to go with Munch. And they go to Avi Zelensky's place where he says he would never hurt his little boy. And his beard is very upsetting to me. And it looks like he would enter beard and beer competitions. (laughs) And I hate looking at it. He then says, it's Rachel's fault. These things happen in her world. And Munch assures him it can happen anywhere. And he says, no, he should be here where it's safe. And Stabler interrupts him like, sir, It happened this morning when he was with you. And he says, impossible. We were at show all morning the whole time together and never alone until the tutor gave him a ride to school. It's like, did that not set off any (laughs) bells? You know, it's... They ask for the name of the tutor and he starts speaking in Hebrew and he says that he won't take a life to save a life and that he's an up and that this tutor is an upstanding young man and an accusation like this would ruin him. And Saber's like, hold up. You care about his reputation more than your son? And he yells, of course I don't, but he's just trying to act responsibly. Uh Munch comes in close for a Jew connection and says, I understand your dilemma, but the Bible says don't look the other way. And then he promises we're going to be discreet. So the tutor's name is Jacob Rabowski. As the detectives walk out, Sabler says um, that he was here once, like in this synagogue or whatnot, a long time ago, and someone diddled a little girl, Kara's favorite term. uh, (laughs) Nobody would talk. Nobody would talk. And Munch explains that they are suspicious of outside authorities. So then we hear um, someone go, can I help you? And we see Zoe Lister-Jones, who's a fashion queen and famous actress. Um, She's been on Life in Pieces for a very, very long time. And 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 a writer, too. I think she's a big writer. Oh, cool. And And, um, I was at a Hanukkah party where she was once. (laughs) We did chat at the Hanukkah party. Oh, exciting. Um, yeah, and she's working. Yeah, I think she just created a show and is like just finished filming or something. Yeah, she directed a bunch of movies. Um, so an all-around artsy gal. So, and in this scene she has a velvet headband that I'm very very into. <laughs> And they ask if she knows Jacob and she gets spicy and says, you leave Jacob alone. And then wildly, there's a stack of flyers on the desk where she is. And it says, Jacob Rabowski's comportment has been in complete accordance with Torah law. Parents should not hesitate to engage him as a tutor. That doesn't sound normal. <laughs> and is it just from the David Zelinsky case? Like, didn't that just happen this morning? How did they already get worksheets out? Like, I don't understand. And how do they already know that he didn't break any Torah law? Because he I said think so? Maybe it's maybe that's not in a response to this.
0: It's just like that's how you advertise tutors in this community. You're just like, hey, the Torah completely backs this guy hire him for tutoring like this is the version to me in like an orthodox community of like bill will teach you guitar or whatever and you take a little you take a little piece of paper off of the flyer i don't know
1: yeah but i feel the way they've worded it makes me feel like maybe he did break Torah law. <laughs> yeah it is i don't know you're it's too fast to have been
0: a result of what happened
1: I um, yeah, I wonder if it's just because he's a man and they're like, this man is fine. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but they're tr- so basically the woman Zoe Lister Jones is like, you know, you got to talk to the main rab- rabbi and they're like, OK, where's the man main rabbi? And she says he's not here. And Stabler says, I doubt that. And they go to enter a room and she yells, no, you can't go in there. They go in there. So Munch asks if it's a Bible study or damage control. And the head rabbi says that their community is sheltered and he won't allow them to arrest Jacob um, and then ask questions later. And Sabler's like, "Uh, yeah, you'd rather sweep things under the rug. We get that. But uh, the rabbi is Bob Dishy, by the way. He has 54 credits. He's been working since the 60s. He's probably retired though because he hasn't worked since 2015. Um, and he was the silent dad and Along Came Polly. I don't know if that's a movie that was in your life that you enjoyed. It's a it's a blind spot for me. It's fun. Yeah. I like it. And so he's like kind of the silent dad who has a big speech at the end of the movie. Oh, but okay. Um, so this main rabbi, he says that the tutor dropped him off at school and went to a doctor's appointment. And they're like, see, and that's why we found him innocent. He was at the doctor. <laughs> and Stabler says, "Where is the jury?" And the rabbi says something about Moses and God. And they're like, "No, bro, that's not working here." And they put their shoulders on Jacob and go, "Let's go." And the rabbi is pushing back, like, "Did David even say this happened? Do you have DNA evidence?" And the Stabler says, "We're waiting on the results." And the rabbi's like, "Okay, I know your laws, dude, and you you have to wait for a warrant. He owes you nothing, so he's gonna stay right here." And he says. Yes. And nods. But before they leave, Stabler leans into his face low and says, I know you can't stay away from little boys and we will wait for you. And he stares at the rabbi. Zoe Lister Jones has been listening the whole time. So then hours later, moments later, a day later, (laughs) like, I don't know. 10 seconds later. (laughs) Yeah. It is hard to say. Like, they warned him that they would have their eyes on him. And he is leaving with a little boy, touching the boy immediately. Like, hands on his shoulders. So, Stabler starts, like, a light jog towards them. And the Hasidic <laughs> I duo... I a Stabler them- light jog. Yeah. And then the Hasidic duo leave a kosher bodega, you know? Yeah. Uh, the boy has a fountain soda. And they enter into a gate. And Stabler follows them down the, the stairs into a little alleyway. And it's like, how dumb is this guy? And then Stabler enters an open door in a building and then enters an apartment. And we hear Jacob say, kiss me, it's okay. And he's on top of someone on the couch and Stabler grabs him and screams, get off of him. And it's Zoe Lister Jones. And she screams, leave Jacob alone. So Stabler asks, what's going on here? Um, And I'm wondering, too, like, where did the boy go? What's going on? Um, So Jacob is twirling his hat in his hands, and we hear Zoe's voice tell Stabler that they've been in love for a year. But in their religion, they can't even hold hands until they're married. Um, So they're just horny. What's taking so long, though? If you've been in love for a year, what's, what's taking so long? Get married. Yeah.
0: Don't they like Zoom a
1: wedding Yeah, quick?
0: Yeah. I thought that they were just like trying to pump out Jewish couples as quick as possible.
1: Yeah, that is a good point. Maybe, you know, maybe their venue is all booked up. Yeah. <laughs> Stabler says, but I know other Orthodox people who date. Why not leave the Hasidic community? And he's like, oh God, no, it's our lives. It's well, They love the tradition and the rituals. They don't want to leave. Um, But Stabler's like, so you want it both ways. You're using a kid to cover for you. Who is that kid, by the way? And he's Zoe's brother. So finally, she admits that they both went into the city to drop off David. And then they went to the Roxy to be alone at an all-day film festival. They just wanted some privacy. And they were together the whole time. So he didn't do anything to that boy. Um, Please, you have to believe him. And her blue eyes are popping. Yeah, she does have gorge eyes. I was noticing Yeah, and then Kragen asks Stabler um, if their alibi checks out, and he says yes, that the manager remembers them buying tickets. Cragen's confused, though, and he's like, wait, so he'd rather have everyone believe he's a pervert than admit he was making (laughs) out with his girlfriend at the movies? That is a great point. That's a great point. But it's,
0: but I mean, you don't want to get, I don't know, it's like, what is worse for them? So I
1: guess guess the Hasidic people would rather protect a pedophile than know that two adults made out consensually at a movie theater? Out of wedlock, yeah. Crazy. Stabler gets a call. Stabler gets a (laughs) call. It's Miss Zielinski, and he's telling her to calm down. And then he says, I'll be right there. And turns, or maybe you should calm down. Okay. And then Cragen's like, "Um, you mind filling me in, bro? I was mid-sentence talking to you. Um, and he goes, bad news. David has been kidnapped. Oh, God. Cragen breathes deep. And the mom explains at the apartment that she went to get groceries. And when she came back, David was gone. She was scared Avi would do this because he's threatened um, this, this afternoon that he was going to go to court and get custody. And she would never see David again. You had him. It's like so crazy they're blaming her when like he had the dad had him that morning and let him go into danger it's like yeah, beyond me how you had custody of him that day and you're still blaming someone else for it ugh Uh, Munch is like, where would he go? So the options are Brooklyn or Israel, okay? But she says David doesn't have a passport, so probably Brooklyn. Now O'Halloran's on the case and says that actually um, there's security footage. So that's good. And what do we see? Legit 15 minutes after Rachel left, Avi and David left the apartment. So then Chester Lake and Finn are canvassing Williamsburg and Munch lets everyone know there's a twist. He contacted someone in the government and David has a passport, but it's like, but you do need both parents to come consent. So what the fuck? And then we hear Rachel um, looking at, like, we see her looking at a document and she says, that's not my signature. So fuck that dad and fucking arrest him. So he, uh, I think, yeah, that's forgery. Like he forged a person's signature on a government property. And kidnapped his kid, probably. So, Craigen is like, Teleport Authority in the airports. And Munch says the Israeli consulate, too. And, and the mom's like, He's going to take him to Israel. Oh, no, I'm never going to see him again. And Stable's like, No, nah, chill out. Israel would never let him in. We're part of the Hague Convention. So, customs won't let him know. Like, they'll get him. Finn goes, yeah, I think he probably realized that because he is not going to Israel. We just caught him using an easy pass headed to Canada. Does he know anyone in Montreal? And then the mom is like, oh my God, She's, uh, they're taking him to Kahila Moshe. hasidic community and she seems worried and munch knows the facts it was created in the 70s by some orthodox jews it's very old country style and avi's talked about living up there and they have their own school police ambulances and it's a fully self-sufficient community and it's a really good way to hide someone that's for sure and then munch gets he's like yeah since everyone has like six brats and it's like okay wow Um, And Finn says, sounds like a cult. And it is. And Munch says, it's more like the Amish. Um, Like, it's to make sure people don't assimilate. And the mom adds that they want to live a pure life. No influences of the outside world. And then the mom's voice um, continues and becomes a voiceover as the detectives drive into this private community. Uh, So she says, women in long skirts, as they pass women in long skirts, they're all pushing strollers and there's rows and rows of them in this cul-de-sac all pushing their kids. Many barely Speak English. No cell phones. Few cars. No TV or movies or magazines. Um, totally sheltered. And the sailboard jokingly is like, "Oh, is it like coming home, Munch?" And he says, "Yeah, it's just like the stories Bubby used to tell." Now Stabler recognizes the plates of a car and um, and it is Avi's plates, which, uh, okay, cool. So they all are so good at memorizing numbers. And Munch is like, I bet they don't lock the doors. And so they um exit their vehicle to go enter the home that's next to the parked car. And a Jewish police officer with a crossing guard vest and a yarmulke approaches them. And he's like, who are you? And they're like, we're NYPD investigating and kidnapping and rape. And he says that they have no authority here and it's our jurisdiction. And they explain, actually, the owner of the car kidnapped a boy, and so call your supervisor. And then the vest boy in Yiddish radios somebody, and Munch is listening in and understands Yiddish. And the vest cop lies and says to head to some office, and Munch is like, kiss my tukis. Uh My <laughs> Yiddish is rusty, but I'm pretty sure they said to keep us away from the temple. So Stabler's like, okay, Shabbat Shalom. Let's go to this temple. <laughs> So then uh, the detective starts searching for him as men are getting down, praying in their own rhythmless motions, very possessed. And finally they grab David and he screams and runs to the rabbi, but um, they grab Avi and Avi's like, no, the rabbi kidnapped him. He says, don't let them take my boy. And the rabbi says, I only have the best intentions and my heart is in the right place. And Stabler's like, yeah, his heart. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't know. He says some sort of pun about hearts and love and that he wants his heart. It's whatever. But he's like, you just, couldn't Wait, leave him alone. Can you? I ask
0: a question? Isn't it the rabbi who's on the tape taking the kid out of the apartment building? No, I think it's the dad. It's the oh. dad. Oh, oh, okay. It looked like the rabbi to me when I was watching it, but I must have missed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they all look the same. I think that's part of the point. <laughs> like, they're all wearing hats, but... I, I'm pretty sure it was the father. And so then the boy says, I don't want to go. Please, Rabbi, don't let them take me. But they take him away. And the rabbi says, I'm trying to protect him. And Stabler is like, well, now you're going to go to New York and we're going to talk about this. And he asks to finish his prayers. since Stabler is a religious man. He'll respect that. And Stabler is like, honey, I have no respect for child molesters. Let's go. And they all head out as all the praying men look onto the, the chaos. So now we're in interrogation. And the rabbi says, I am not a child molester. So then why did you take him, he says. And he's like, I was saving the boy from your society. And Stabler makes it all about him and is like, my society? And the rabbi says, "Your morally bankrupt culture. Obviously, I always think of Faye Resnick. <laughs> never again will I never, th- like, uh, uh, yeah, morally corrupt. The morally corrupt Faye Resnick. Forever and ever. Um, and is not in the mood to be lectured. And Rabbi is still committed to the saving routine of like saving him from the mother's world. So then Stabler goes, no, you took him away so you didn't have to tell us what you did to him. And then we cut to David and he says the rabbi did not hurt him. He asked to be taken and Stabler is like, tell me the truth. And he says he is. And Stabler pushes him like, then why would you want to leave your mom and dad and your home? And he says he didn't. And then it's like, then why did you want the rabbi to take you? And the rabbi told him he can go to school there and nobody would hurt him and he would be safe. So Stabler's like, okay, so you're not safe at school? And he's like, like, who is hurting you at school? And he goes, I promised I wouldn't tell. And Stabler runs to the lab um, to O'Halloran in a huff and is like, yes, give me the goods. And he says, it's not a teacher, but you're in the right track. It was at school. How did you even know that? Like, how do you know what's going on? So basically, there's the pubic hair that was found during the rape kit that is on the microscope. And they compare a regular adult pubic hair. And this pubic hair they found is a child's pubic hair. And so the purpose is an adolescent between 12 and 14 years old, and Stabler, looks Looks like, oh, my God, shit. <laughs> so we're at the precinct, and there's 130 boys' school pictures on the monitor, and those are the suspects. And they're going to need parental consent to talk to these boys. And George Huang uh, appears out of nowhere, out of thin air, and is like, <laughs> well, maybe I can help you narrow narrow them down. We know the pubic hair, um, the kid's a few years older, but preys on little boys because he's an outsider. So he doesn't belong in his peer group and stabler. It's like, "Got." Pick last for kickball. And Georgia goes, Yes, good job, dog. Like what (laughs) cool. Um he doesn't fit in and probably likes hanging out with younger girls as well. So he's been picked on and he's angry about it and took the anger out on David, a younger, vulnerable kid, because it made him feel powerful. And then George's voice becomes a voiceover and we see David now talking to him and um, he's trying to find out like who bullied you, who forced you, who said it was okay. And David's like, wait, but who told you that? And he responds that it was Stabler and Benson because they're really good at their jobs. Um, and so we know that it's a boy at your school. And he cries and says, please, I don't want anyone in school to know. And Juan goes, yep, yeah, I know it's private, but we have to know who it is so we can protect you. And he's such a good little actor and he like quivers and says, Jack. And so now we cut to Jack. And he was one of the kids from Weeds and he has an extra bowl cut that makes David's bowl cut not even look like a bowl cut. I don't <laughs> know what I was thinking. <laughs> this is a legit bowl cut. Yeah. Um, and this kid has really big eyes. I really and... liked him
0: on Weeds. He was such a weird little kid. I thought, I thought this kid was so good on weeds.
1: He was, but he's the reason I actually stopped watching. Because really? Once things go off the rails, I can't, right? So that it was show like very once,
0: much went off the rails.
1: Yeah. So it was like once the kid murdered the crime boss <laughs> and pushed him in the pool, I was like, yeah. all right, I'm out. Uh, you know I'm what, out. Lisa? That might be
0: exactly where I stopped because I remember watching all through the Mexico season where she's like living with that very handsome Mexican actor who I like. I forgot what that guy's name is, but he's very good. And then I was like, yeah, I think I might be out. Like, this is nuts. It was one thing when you were tunneling drugs to Mexico, but now <laughs> that went into your store, but now your kid's killing
1: mob bosses. I'm out. Yeah. yeah, that happened to me in Big Love. Like once he ran for office, I'm like, I'm out. I stuck with big love till the end, but yeah, it was not, it was wild. It was like, okay, we all have to lay low. We're all in danger. I'm going to run for office. <laughs> it was like, it was- I have so many problems
0: with my family. I'm going to try to take on another wife.
1: Like it was really crazy. Yeah, someone said but if you really think about it, it is in line with his personality cuz he's such a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So this kid, we we zoom in on his face and um he's watching what the closed captioning said. Uh, they described the noises as erotic groaning on television. <laughs> so that's I love the, the captions. Yeah. And then Stabler comes in and sees him watching porn. And Finn is behind Stabler and asks, where are your parents? As Stabler turns off the TV. And he answers that his dad works late. And then your mom, she's dead. And then he gets aggressive and is like, who are you? (laughs) Which... Fair. Um, they explain that they're cops, and his brother let uh, let them in. And then the little brother's like, "I'm sorry, Jack. I had to." Stabler um, says, "Get dressed, and we're all leaving here." So Finn is uh, with the brother and asks if he's ever done anything to make him feel uncomfortable. And the brother goes, "No. The brother loves me. Jack loves me. He would never." He's like, "No, my brother's my best friend. He would never hurt me." And we hear the dad yelling below on the ground floor of the precincts, and so they're all on this, the balcony level, and we hear him go, "Where are my boys?" And Finn's like, "They're okay." And the dad is like, okay, then where are they? So then Cra- Craigan approaches him and explains, your son is under arrest for rape and the dad can't believe it. Like, what? My kid is 14 and doesn't have a girlfriend. And then they drop, you know, the bomb of... It was actually a 10-year-old boy. So then the dad's like, so you're wrong. Where is my son? And starts screaming for Jack and Stabler's holding him back. But then Jack is screaming for his dad and the dad runs to the mirror and starts banging and saying he's gonna take him home. And Cragen's like, no, you are not. And the boy is running towards the mirror saying, dad, I thought it was okay. Dad, I thought it was okay. As a cop we've never seen holds him back. And you gotta believe me. You gotta get me out of here. So now it's Stabler and Jack and they're sitting across from each other let the games begin. So Jack says he saw it in a movie. And there was uh, this guy in prison and he did stuff to another guy. And I wonder if Stabler's like, were you watching Oz? Okay, so... (laughs)
0: Like, honestly,
1: that's what I thought of later, but go on, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, and sh- and he goes, I thought David liked it. And Munch asks if uh, David ever consented, and he says that he was afraid, and I didn't know what he would do if I said no. So then Jack says he wasn't trying to hurt him, and he never told me to stop. And David cries and says, I wanted him to stop. It really hurt. And he cries, but he kept doing it. But Jack says, oh, I thought he liked it. We did it a bunch of times. So that's why he asked the rabbi to take him. Away, we obviously figured that out. Um, he wouldn't leave me alone, and then so Jack gets creepy as hell and says, "It's just like the movies. You're my bitch. I own you." And then everyone respected him. He said he wanted respect and was sick of everyone picking on him. And the guy didn't get picked on anymore after he had sex, and that's why he did it. So then uh, they show the dad who is stressed. He's like, "This was not in any men's magazines or parenting books." Like, <laughs> Fuck. but to
0: be fair, there is an episode where Olivia. And ben Benson says, you're my bitch now. You know, people do make it look good to say you're my bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But not not after a full uh, assault scene, but yes. So now David's explaining to the dad how they were just fooling around. And he says, why did you do this? And the boy answers, I don't know, which is not good enough for the dad, um, who says, that's all you're going to say, and then slaps him. And Sailor says, enough. You hit him again, and I'll lock you up. He says, take him. I'm out. And he runs out of the office. So then Jack holds his cheek in pain. And it reminds me of the woman in the credits on the stand with her hand um, (laughs) holding her face. She's hiding her face, yeah. So it's very credits- Yeah. (laughs) It's giving credits. (laughs) It's giving credits. Stabler runs after the dad and says, you can't walk out on him. And he says, I just did. Like it's a schoolyard fight. And Stabler explains, if you leave, I put him in jail. And he says, I don't want him around my younger boy. And I don't want to see him. And Stabler reminds him, that is your son. And he says, not anymore. And walks away with his younger son and says, do what you want with him and leaves. This is like the
0: opposite of what we normally see, which is like all, we mostly see parents being like, they're wrong, they're wrong. Like, even though like he admits it, like mostly parents are like, my kid till the end, you know? We never really, I don't think we've seen, except for Helen Slater in that one episode, Families, where she goes, get him out of my sight or whatever. Like she she goes, do what you want with him. But we don't really see that this, like this that much, you know? A full abandonment. I don't think you're allowed to do it, but he does do it.
1: Yeah. So after the dad leaves, Cragen asks Diane Neal, do you really think he didn't know he was doing something wrong? And Novak goes, it doesn't matter. He's 14. they're statutory anyways. So in walks Real Pearlman and she goes, but maybe not. And we find out that she's going to be representing Jack. And uh, she says that the dad called child services to see how he can give up his kid for adoption. And it's like, I don't think anyone wants to adopt your rapist teen. Like what? Like who did he think was gonna adopt this guy, this kid? Like <laughs>
0: or just looking for a way him. to dump him into the system? Yeah, yeah. But you can't. Yeah, I don't
1: think there's gonna be. It's just so funny that any that, yeah, no one wants him. No one, no one wants like great fourteen year old kids. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely don't want this rapist. Um. So Novak's like, oh, okay. I get it. You smell the headlines. And she says she was moved by compassion for this kid. And so will the family court judge. They will be moved as well. And Novak says, nope, I'm charging him in as an adult. So then real permanent is like, okay, please. Also to Cragen is like, and please stop questioning the boy because we're done. And his counsel is here. And Cragen's like, he already said everything that we needed to know. And his dad gave him up. So <laughs> his confession is, admissible, is like going to be allowed. And She's like, whatever, bitch, no jury is convicting this kid of rape one. And Novak says he is a predator who raped David half a dozen times. And Rhea Perlman's like, they're just a couple of kids screwing around. And I just hate this defense. And it always happens with adults and like, oh, it's just consensual, rough sex gone wrong. But in this, it's an even more twisted take. Like, it really is sick. Like, this little boy is raped, and you're like, oh, come on. He lost so much blood, he needed a transfusion that
0: is an attack. That's not a boy, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. fucked. I think that's like why they thought it was an adult. Like, something really bad must have happened. But it is wild. You know, I thought Rhea Perlman was in more than one episode of SVU, but this is it. This is it, wild. where she's playing this very sex negative, like, like kind of conservative lawyer who's like, back in my day, we didn't really talk about this stuff. Like, it's kind of wild.
1: But she's good at, I mean, I know Bet her from Matilda. Love her. Yeah. And she plays like a bad mom. I think it's easy for her to play like mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Carla on Cheers, she's tough. She's tough as nails. Yeah, tough. That's the word. Um, yeah. I never watched Cheers, though. Oh, you did it? Never. Not one episode. Wow. A classic. You watched it. As a kid, yeah. As a family.
0: Yeah, no, like I randomly caught it here and there. I wouldn't say it was appointment television, but I knew about like Sam and Diane and like, you know, I knew when Kirstie Alley came on and I always knew Carl, like I knew who all the people were. Yeah. Um, and they say the li- pilot of Cheers is a perfect pilot. That's what in a lot of writing circles, they say that about in TV.
1: Um, it's just funny. I think there's memes where everyone in Cheers is actually like RH. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, they're totally is.
1: Like, George Went is, like, 38
0: or something wild, and they all look old as hell. Well,
1: I also love um, the tweet—I the, just like all the old stuff where it's like, do you remember as a kid all of your f- parents' haggard friends? They were 31. Yeah. They're like, remember the memories of, like, your parents. But my parents were always old, so that's different for me, but it is funny that— yeah. But it, it is also
0: it, funny because when I look at pictures of my mom my age, she does look a lot older. Like she had like a bad haircut. She like doesn't wear cool stuff. You know what I mean? Like not that I wear super cool stuff, but I think I look younger than she does at my age. Yeah. And I talk younger and I watch stuff like, and I listen to music. Like my mom does it like, it was like an old lady at at like 40.
1: You know what I mean? Well, she also had what? Six kids
0: by 40? Mm, uh, five by 40. The sixth one came later. Crazy. I know. It's why. That's probably what You're right. She didn't have time. Up. She didn't have time to like listen to me like podcasts. You're right.
1: Yeah. What's <laughs> she gonna do? Dance to rain on me. Oh, I'm sick of being called ma'am though. And the next person who does it, they're not gonna You be gotta get me. out of the South, girl. Get out of there. I know, but I'm just gonna be like, that's rude. I'm just done being like, it's their culture. I'm just gonna be like, that's rude. Don't say that to people. <laughs> It's legit going, hey old lady. Like it makes no sense. Well, we
0: brought this up at one of our live shows, and they told us that they're hammer—that's hammered into them as kids—that you say no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, no, sir, yes, sir. I guess it just okay, sucks sure. that ma'am and sir are not the same. Like I say sir to old people, but I are ne- people that are older than me, but I never would call someone ma'am. I think I say miss to everyone. Like someone drops something on the ground, I'm always like miss, even if it's like a 95 year old woman.
1: Yeah, I've never said ma'am ever to a a human being because I care about people. (laughs) That's why, um, this is why I always say polite and nice is not the same thing. These Southern people think they're so nice. It's like, no, you're polite and you're actually dickheads. Everything they say is shade. Ma'am is not nice. Well, yeah, I was talking at the same show about how bless your heart, bless her heart is
0: supposed to be polite, but it's shady as hell. Like when you say "Oh, bless her heart," you're like, "What a moron! What a fuck up!" Like, you know?
1: Yeah, politeness is just like a mean person's idea of what nice is. That's <laughs> what. That's my quote. Put it. Put that on a shirt and smoke it. All right. <laughs> so, anyways, we're with Rhea Perlman's bad take, and she says that she looks forward to kicking Casey's ass and walks off um craigen walks in novak's like she really likes to stir the pot and craigen says that he let david go with his parents before that she could sink his teeth into him would she be talking to him um no right like why would she be allowed to sink her teeth into the
0: oh yeah yeah she
1: wouldn't be able to i don't know would but she Craig be But got him out of there.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's like, "Get Ria No kid is safe." Yeah, um, like a defense attorney is not allowed to talk to the victim like alone. That would
0: that you're no. right. That's weird.
1: Um. So then he asks, "What do you want to do about the rabbi?" Novak responds, "He kidnapped David. So custodial interference." And Craigan's like but the boy did ask to be taken. uh, But it's up to you, counselor. And of course, Casey's like, cut him loose, I'm busy. So Stabler apologizes and it's a really funny apology to the rabbi. He goes, I'm sorry, I accused you of being a child molester. (laughs) And it's like a really funny apology. And he's like, no biggie, you were trying to save a life. Um, And I'm glad the rabbi is innocent, I am. So uh, he then asks if they're charging Jack Tremblay as an adult and Stabler says, we are. And he says some Bible shit. And then he goes, if you need to strike a child, you should only do so with a shoelace. And Stabler's like, Jack raped one of your students, and you think a shoelace is the right punishment? And he says, I think you're asking the wrong question. You should be asking, why did this happen? And it's like, oh, God, so Jewish. It's so Jewish. <laughs> it's so Passover. So then Finn and Jack, uh, we are some noise behind the rabbi and Stabler. And it's Finn put uh, saying that it's too late for arraignment, so they have to put Jack in holding overnight. The rabbi is not happy about it, but at least it's the cage in the middle of the precinct. He's alone. He's safe. He's surrounded by police officers. You know, it's not like this 14-year-old being sent to Rikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is that what would happen if he was charged as an adult, or would he go to juvenile and then be transferred to adult later? I mean, it depends. Like, honestly,
0: that's what happened to Khalif Browder. I think he was under 18 and he got transferred to Rikers and then he was assaulted there and he was there for like three years for stealing a backpack, you know? <sighs> like, I, I, I mean, maybe in this case, because it's like a white boy, he might get some extra treat, different treatment. But I feel like in a lot of cases, if you're trying someone as an adult, kids go all the time. But I don't know.
1: Jeez. Yeah. So I, I just, even though he's a rapist and I'm mad at this kid, I'm glad the kid's just like alone in a cell. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, sad music plays and the rabbi looks at Stabler and goes, does that look like a man to you? And walks off. So then Jack sits alone in the cage. Stabler thinks. There's a lot of Stabler thinking in this episode. (laughs) So then we cut to Novak in her office, putting things in her lady briefcase. And she (laughs) says, I was just about to call you. I'm heading over to arrange Jack Tremblay. And the rabbi got to Stabler and he says, don't. And then he says, um, he was up all night with the baby. Sure. Um, But it got him thinking and she already knows what's up. And she's like, you want me to send him to family court? I know, I know. And he says, no, I don't want to. I'm saying I want to do what's right. She says, sleep deprivation is making you feel soft. And he's like, come on, like, you know, what makes one kid go one way and another kid go another way? And it's like, okay, sociology. Uh, And he's like, parents should protect their children. His father threw him to the wolves. Casey's not convinced and replies, yeah, so he's a crap father. Like, who? Lots of children have that. Um, but they, you know, but they don't become rapists. And Saylor says, you're talking about putting a child away with hardened criminals. He's still a child and he has nobody. And Casey says, Okay, Elliot, we'll try him in family court and um walks off. So now it's December 21st. Hello, Christmas. No, no rest. No rest for the Catholics, even on this show. And so we're in court and we hear Rhea Parman's voice. Uh, she says, what happened between the two boys was a sexual experiment gone wrong. And just curious boys. And Novak runs in with a paper in hand and munches behind her. And uh, Rhea's like, your honor, I'm trying to make an opening argument. And Novak approaches the judge and hands over what's in her hand. And the judge says, you better have a good reason to interrupt this trial. And it's like, duh, your honor. <laughs> um, and Stibler was sitting in the audience, um, of the audience, seats and he looks really shocked and he can't wait to see what happens. And Casey asks that so the prosecution has sworn their first witness and the judge says no. So now Casey says, "Um, there. well, then Double Jeopardy hasn't attached. She then says she's removing this case back to criminal court. Uh, Munch arrests him. Rhea yells. And the judge says, nope, she's right with the law and there's nothing I can do. This case is adjourned. Gavel, gavel. And Stabler's like, Casey, WTF. And she says, listen, another victim came forward. A 12-year-old girl says she was raped and also a 10-year-old girl also just arrived and she was raped too. This motherfucker's a serial rapist. Maloney, he watches over his shoulder as Casey rushes out we cut back to real Pearlman and Casey and a walk and talk outside in the streets and she was like three sweet and innocent little victims to bolster your case and I really hate real Pearlman's character here yeah I really do. She's like on Buchanan levels, dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Like you think you think this is good news that more innocent little kids got raped? This show hates defense
0: attorneys. They really do. Like they are like they are made to look like fucking assholes. Like soulless assholes.
1: And while they're talking, um, camera and media are like swarming them a little. And Casey's like, they were afraid to say something. And then Real Pearlman goes, What? Did someone spike the cafeteria bug juice with liquid courage? Great line. That is good, though. That is a (laughs) A, a demon woman, but a great
0: line. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like they felt safe coming forward since he was in custody. And also, someone else already came forward, like, shut up. And so then the media asks, is this the boy? And it's Jack in a good boy sweater and everyone's trying to enter the courtroom. And Rhea says, I have something to say. No plea. And her client didn't understand what he was doing. And in front of the cameras, Casey's like, damn, an insanity defense? That's a stretch. And she says, no, look at the media feeding frenzy. It's sexualizing our children. And I hate this. I always hate the defense of like video games, movies. It really bothers me. Um, And the judge's classic, his name's Arthur, Cohen, played by David Lippman, um, who has been in 13 episodes and also has been married since 1977. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Way to go, dude. Saria says the amount of sex on television has doubled. Casey's like, you're gonna argue that the boob tube makes made Jack a rapist. And she says, yes, bitch. And Judge is like, sure, sure. But I, I don't understand how that makes him insane. She then explains, well, it's defined that you don't know consequences of one's actions. And sex and violence on TV has no consequence. So Jack didn't think so in real life. And Casey says, This is absurd. She says it's the ra- ra- <laughs> she says it's the ranchification of our culture and casey says that's insane and judge says i'm gonna let a jury decide that and i'm allowing it and he's really sticking it to casey and is acting like a big baby (laughs) and so now it's january 8th and we're in part 38
0: happy new year just to you i mean they they ignored it on the show but to you happy 2009
1: (laughs) and so was he been in the has he been in rikers this whole time
0: Oh, great question. Maybe in a juvenile holding facility? I don't know. Great question.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hate this kid and he should be tried as but he shouldn't be tried in his. I mean, it's really tricky. It's really a tricky case. It's what has to be you. Like, I'm concerned for his safety, but I'm like, you're a vicious rapist. Like, it is. And it's like 14 is 14 is like the perfect age to make this kid too. Cause it's not like
0: he's 16, like, and it's not, and, but he's not quite like 12. Like, it's the
1: perfect, like, age. Like, do you know what you're doing or not? You know, like, yeah. And so, Lucy's on the stand here. So, she's one of the other victims. And she says she doesn't hang out with any other kids his age, just him, because he hangs out with all the kids my age. And then another girl on the stand explains at first he was nice and the girls in her grade thought she was cool because she had an older friend. And then... Um, He wanted to do stuff he saw in a movie of girls licking boys like cats. And he told the girl he had that she had to lick him. Um, And he said that if these girls didn't lick him, it meant they they didn't like him and he wouldn't be their friends anymore. And it's sad. And there's so many girls and there's just like lots of girls and this boy. So it's really he's a bisexual rapist. (laughs) And all of them said they wanted to stop, but he got mad. And held them down and forced the girls to do other things and it hurt and he wouldn't stop. And then it's David saying this um, on the stand, it wasn't right. And mix Fo- Fox, Rhea Perlman has no questions at this time and the people rest. And so the defense is going to start in the next morning. And David's parents are there together for their son. And Fox didn't cross a single witness. Jack asks Sabler if he's seen his dad and he says no. And he looks so sad as he's being carried to jail. So then Stabler visits the rockabilly hair daddy (laughs) and he doesn't want to hear it. And Stabler says, that's your son. And your son did terrible things, but you're all he has and he needs you. And the dad is making it all about him. Like, do you have any idea what this, the looks I get and how people look at me? And everyone always, you know, when a kid's bad, it's like, where were the parents? Where were the parents? but I made him breakfast. I helped with homework. I gave him lunch money. I got him to school on time and he goes and rapes four little kids. And Stabler says, um, he did none of this to you. And regardless, he still needs his father. And the guy wants to slam the door and Stabler stops him and says, if you don't show up for him now, you'll regret it later. And then runs off. Um, And the dad is thinking about it. And Jack's on the stand now. He watches three to four shows a day. Honestly, that's a light day for me. And I'm... (laughs) I'm within my legal limits of everything. (laughs) And then if nothing good is on, he'll put it um in a DVD and then he'll even watch more on the weekends. What does he watch? He likes uh, 10 p.m. cable shows, hot women, and they have sex and they're naked. And she's like, your dad lets you watch these shows? And he looks into the court like it's uh, looking for parents at a baseball game or choir concert. And it's like, honey, <laughs> you're on trial. Uh, but he says that his dad works a lot. And if he's home, he'll watch on his laptop in his room. And then Ria is like, so you like shows with tons of sex? sex and he says he loves this stuff and he loves the internet. They cut to David's father who's listening in the courtroom and is horrified by all this. And there are a lot of Orthodox community representing in the court, lots of big hats. And then Miss Fox is like, wait, so you're not embarrassed to tell us this stuff? And he's like, no, everyone likes this stuff, right? It's normal. And she asks, is it? And he looks off. <laughs> so then we have a blonde woman on the stand explaining kid internet and TV behaviors and porn. And it's um a doctor and it's like about cultural norms uh changing with sex and that kids are learning new sexual scripts. And so Miss Fox is like, wait, so media affects the way our children approach sex. And the doctor says, yes, media defines what's expected and plays a big role on teen sex. And then the last 10 years, oral sex rates have doubled. But it's like, how do they know that?
0: I think they probably just survey kids. How many times, like, have you done it? Like, you know, survey kids of different ages. Like, have you done it? Have you had it done to you? You know?
1: What kid's telling anyone? I know.
0: I I don't know. You're supposed to tell your pediatrician. My mom had to ask, like, all my friends,
1: are you sexually active? They were like, uh, no. (laughs) So... Casey's listening. She's annoyed. She hates all this type of science stuff. But, and her big question is like, but did it affect Jack? So now Jack is back on the stand and he says that he wanted to do what he saw and he was turned on and he kept thinking about it. And she asks, but what about them? Did they think about sex? He says, I guess. I didn't force them. They wanted to do it. They walked to the dumpster with me. And she's like, everyone testified here that they said no. He says, yeah, but so do the girls on the TV and internet. They pretend not to like it. It's part of the sex. Isn't it? And Casey's like, Do you know what rape is? And he says, Yes. And she's like, And you really don't think you raped anyone? And at that moment, the dad walks in and the violins and pianos are popping off and he sits down. <laughs> Casey is like, Jack. And he says, they were all cool with it. And she says, David was cool with it. He says, yes, yes, he was. She's like, he cried. Did he say stop? And Jack answers, that's what the guy in the movie did. But Novak's like, when he told you to stop, why didn't you? You raped him and he screamed. And Miss Fox objects, the judge sustains. But Casey pushes. You raped him seven times. You never noticed him screaming. And you really don't think you did anything wrong. And the judge says, that's enough. And he then quivers and there's a tear, you know, he's tearing up a little and says, I don't know. I, I didn't know I was hurting anyone. I didn't mean to hurt them. I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry. And the dad looks at his son. So then Stabler walks into Casey's office like super late night. He has a bunch of coffees because this department never sleeps. And she says that Miss Fox, Rhea Perlman, wanted to plead down to four counts of sexual misconduct. And Stabler agrees with Rhea Perlman's point. And Novak's like, I, that's, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, the world's allowed to have smut. So Novak's like, sure, I get that. But, like, your kid's turned out good. And he starts taking credit. And it's like, and talking and giving advice. Like, he had anything to do with the raising of but also children. like
0: I don't know if this is before or after, but remember like the episodes where Dickie wants to fucking kill Stabler where he's like, I hate you. Like, I mean, he's not a perfect
1: like dad. That's like so crazy. It's so crazy. And Stabler says, you got wor- girls wearing Hustler tank tops to school. It ain't easy, Casey. So he says, it's really hard to raise good kids because girls are wearing shirts that say Hooters. And that's <laughs> the downfall of society. He's like, Paris Hilton is on the nightly news and jenna jameson's at the local bookstore and this stuff is everywhere but casey says the media did not brainwash him to rape four kids but Saber's like you don't think there are parents on that jury that are looking at his dad thinking that could happen to me Mm -hmm. so we're back in court And it's closing argument time. And she, so basically Rhea Perlman's like, nobody's talking about sex. She compares sex to a swimming pool and not teaching kids how to swim. But then Jack dove into the pool and she's like, do you really want to let him drown? Very good metaphors. Casey's turn. She's like, this was, a-
0: sorry, this was a very popular metaphor in law, in 90210. Donna Martin gets up at like a party in front of all these parents and is like, if you have, it's about safe sex. And she's like, if you have a swimming pool and you know your kids are going to get over the fence, don't you want to teach them how to swim instead of letting them drown? Huge, huge Donna Martin moment. <laughs>
1: that's amazing. <laughs> sorry. And that's probably from like 1994. And did the parents um, change their minds? I think she changed people's minds. I think she got people
0: like, it was like about letting the school give out condoms or something. I think she did it.
1: Yeah. So now it's Casey's turn for closing arguments and she's like, it's not a cannonball that splashes some kids. He brutally raped four children. 70 million kids watch TV and they don't do what Jack did. Something made him do it, but it's not TV. And she explains, like Jack was picked on, was angry. He lashed out at smaller, weaker children to make himself feel better. TV didn't make him hold kids down and ignore their cries. Jack did it because Jack wanted to. David's in the stand with his parents. Stabler is thinking again. Um, The dad is ashamed. The judge asks the foreman for the verdict and they do find him not responsible um, of the crime for mental disease or defect. And the dad breathes deep and David's parents are upset. The judge says he'll be committed to Bellevue to undergo a psychiatric exam and then uh, we'll do a hearing and the state will determine what the best uh, treatment is for him. Court is adjourned. The dad and son embrace And then Jack gets taken away into custody. David looks down and is really sad and says, why didn't they believe me? And Stabler says, they did. They just believe Jack too. And they leave and Munch turns around and him and the rabbi nod at each other and says, maybe the Hasidics are onto something, unplugging their kids from modern life. And Stabler says, you can't shut out the world, John. He says, these days, it might not be such a bad idea. Jack's taken away. Stabler's thinking again. Dick wolf baby.
0: <laughs> it's weird that Munch comes around to such a different conclusion because at the beginning when they were at the, like, the the sect, like the community in upstate, he was like, this happens in all worlds. And now at the end, Munch is like, yeah, maybe we should all be keeping our kids uh, locked up, you know? It's weird.
1: For sure. I mean, maybe the scientists got to him, but he knows that rape happens everywhere, Yeah, too, You know what I mean? Yeah
0: but whatever. Lisa, thank you for taking us through that very, very twisty episode and, um, that was, um, a great one. And now, we'll be right back with some true crimes, baby. Okay, we are back and, um, I want to first get into clearly the red herring on this episode about the rabbis and the isolated Jewish communities. Like, obviously, there's there was something the writers were basing it off of, which, um, in this case, there actually are many accusations of, you know, child abuse and sexual abuse in these uh, small, you know, isolated communities. So I'm going to start about uh, this. You know, I, I hate to say scandal because it seemed like it was long term that went on for a, a, a long while. But accusations of sexual abuse against a rabbi named Joel, or or his name was Rabbi Joel Kolko or Yehuda Kolko, um, who was an assistant principal teacher and camp counselor at Yeshiva Torah Tamima, which was an all boys private Orthodox Yeshiva in Brooklyn. It still, it still exists. And also in Lakewood, New Jersey, two locations. Um, and Yeshivas are, I didn't even, I, I'm, I'm like a terrible Jew. Like I wasn't really sure what a Yeshiva was, but it is like an educational institution for studying, you know, Jewish history and getting your schooling. So this was a very prestigious one in Brooklyn and New Jersey. And in 2006, they made headlines when Kolko was charged for sexually abusing two first graders. He was also accused of forcing a former student, now an adult, to touch him during a visit to the school. And then six other former students also sued the yeshiva, alleging that they knew about the molestation for decades and covered it up. Sounds very familiar. Sounds very familiar to other religious organizations. One of the victims, a man named David Framowitz, told his whole story to New York Magazine, which we will obviously link in our... um, in our show notes. And he was talking about how he was lonely and ostracized and that Colco was a teacher at his school who lived next door, would give him rides all the time. And one day he said, stay in the car. I want to talk to you. And he molested him. He had him sit on his lap. He had an erection. He fondled him while he asked him, does this hurt over and over again? Like horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, and he has filed, David Framowitz has filed a $20 million Federal lawsuit against Kolko and Yeshiva Torah Tam- Tamima for 15 instances of abuse that happened between 69 and 71 both in the front seat of the car as well as at the yeshiva and at the camp Aguda in the Catskills where you know he also worked. His lawyer, Fremowitz's lawyer, Jeffrey Herman, said he knew of about 20 victims of this man of various ages. Um, and the suit also alleges that the school principal, Rabbi Lipa Margulies, waged, quote, a campaign of intimidation, concealment, and misrepresentations designed to prevent victims from filing lawsuits, end quote. So the suit says that Margulies kind of went like above and beyond to try to help Kolko avoid a rabbinical court, which is also called a bayat din in the 80s, telling victims and their families, like, if you talk, you'll be shunned. We'll kick you your kid out of school and your other kids out of school. This school is prestigious. You'll never be able to enroll at another yeshiva, like really, really intimidating tactics. And she also allegedly had another rabbi whose name was Pinchas Scheinberg tell the victims that According to Jewish law, fondling is not a big enough act to qualify as sexual abuse. So that's So they're pro-fondling. Mind-blowing. Yeah, so fondling, we don't love it, but that's not quite sexual abuse. That's like what it sounds like she was kind of saying. So
1: maybe the people that are upset at this episode should be more upset with this rabbi (laughs) and these organizations. I mean, you can't say how dare you frame us that we're molesters and then fully be like, we're down for fondling. And well, there's also tons, there's like a documentary
0: about abuse in the Hasid community. Like there's a lot of stuff you can read about it and watch about it. So it's, it is definitely a, it's definitely an institutional problem. And- I I saw this quote that I liked that was from a former member of the Lubavitcher community who says he was molested by an ultra-Orthodox neighbor. And his quote was, The bottom line is that abuse is a universal issue that closed communities hide because it threatens them. Whether it's Jewish or Amish or Mennonite or Catholic or Muslim, it doesn't make a difference. I feel like this is kind of like a fungus. It grows in the dark. And I think that's, like, a great point. Like, this is not— fungus that
1: grows in the dark is perfect.
0: No religion is immune to this, you know, because when you keep your doors closed or you keep secrets, this kind of stuff flourishes. Children are taught not to speak out against elders and, you know, things like that. So, or they're threatened by their school principal that they will be shunned. So in 2006, Colco was arraigned on two counts of sexual abuse in the first and second degree and one count of endangering the welfare of a child in two separate episodes with a boy who was six at the time and the other with a man who was 31. He later pleaded guilty to two lesser counts of child endangerment and was sentenced to three years probation. So he never got any jail time. He later left the school and he actually died of COVID in November of 2020. So... Four of the lawsuits against him were dismissed for being filed beyond the five-year statute of limitations. And then in October of 2016, it was actually reported that the school had reached a $2.1 million settlement on two of the remaining cases. I didn't even know about this, but I guess... At some point in the late 2010s, uh, teens, there was a New York law called the Child Victims Act. And that was an act that allowed a one-year window for victims of sexual abuse to file claims against their abusers, no matter how long ago the crimes occurred. So they offered this one-year window where you could like pop in and be like, hey, 40 years ago I was... I mean, you still have to have proof. You still have to have evidence. I'm sure they weren't just convicting based off of accusations, but you, know, you could at least... Beat the whole statute of limitations things, which we know now has been changed, but at that time. So in August of 2019, Baruch Sandhouse filed a lawsuit under this Child Victims Act and against the um, yeshiva itself, Torah Tamima, and Kolko and Rabbi Joel. Falk, alleging that they sexually abused him around 1980 and that the yeshiva and the principal knew. And then in December of 2019, there was an additional lawsuit made by someone who wanted to remain anonymous against the school and Margulies by John Doe, alleging that He was abused in 1994 when he was a student at the yeshiva. So this was like going on over decades, decades and decades. And honestly, I couldn't find any information about where those lawsuits stand right now. I was truly Googling them. And I mean, there was the $2.1 million award, which um, which is good, a settlement. But some of the other cases, like Framowitz's case, I couldn't figure out where that stood. And in one article I read... Like a lawyer was saying, his death kind of complicates the suits because now he's gone and, you know, these crimes happened decades ago. But the yeshiva is also still running, so I'm sure they can sue them. Like and another lawyer was saying, no, my, cl- my client will testify and our case is still strong. But all these articles are from, you know, years ago and there's like nothing I could find that follows it up. So that's that's where the red herring was based on. I think the other part of this episode is based on something that happened in Allentown, Pennsylvania at Central Elementary School in 2007, the year before this episode came out. The crimes actually didn't occur in 2007. They occurred in 2003 and four, but 2007 is when they sort of came to light due to um, lawsuits. Um, so essentially what happened was a 12-year-old boy who was a special education student who was referred to as FH in all of the court documents, he had transferred to Central Elementary School from Kids Peace, which was a juvenile psychiatric facility, in September of 2003. And despite having a history of being sexually abused and behaving in a sexually suggestive way, he was placed in a regular fifth grade class at this school. And in December of 2003, a few months after he transferred to the school, he allegedly sexually assaulted a first grade boy in the boys' bathroom. The administration learned about the assault from a second grader who witnessed it, but they did not call the police or even remove the accused child from school. Instead, they just tried to cover it up. The same thing we keep hearing on every institutional level of everybody, that they let this kid stay in school and he assaulted three more first graders over the next four months. So this is like horrible. Junior Doe 3 came to school with his mom to pick his attacker out of a yearbook. And it's like, what are you doing? First of all, this kid didn't go there last year. He's not even in the yearbook. So the kid picks the wrong kid and that kid has an alibi. And so when uh, the assistant principal then took the kid to the cafeteria to identify his attacker, which he couldn't do, not to mention like how fucked and traumatizing that is, like What, did you stand him on a chair and say, point out your rapist? Like, so, so insane. And then this victim's teacher, uh, Kristen Cassanity, said the boy's mom came to school very upset one morning and started yelling at her. And then Carter, the uh, assistant principal I mentioned, took the boy to the office. And when he returned the boy later, he told the teacher, no one will be calling the police because there was a discrepancy in his story. And then the incident occurred. And they also said that the incident occurred after school hours and under the supervision of after school daycare. So it's like a different thing, whatever. The teacher testified that she told Carter we we have to report this incident to the police, but that he told her, don't get involved in do not call the police. So, this is all part of this big lawsuit that pops up. And then the final assault happened against Junior Doe Four. I don't know details on the second assault, but the final assault was against Junior Doe Four. He was a six-year-old boy whose teacher allowed him to go alone to use a basement bathroom near the school's detention area, which was not usual. But I guess the school was kind of going nuts because there was a, a winter snowstorm happening. School was getting early dismissal. You know how school feels kind of crazy. She was like, fine, go to the bathroom and let this t- let this kid go. FH, the student the student in question who was the attacker had been put on quote unquote hallway detention. And so he was out of view of any teacher and was next to a bathroom used by first graders. Now they had a sub that day and apparently the sub did not know that FH was to be supervised at all time. And then I read in one, my my final article that I read said that the sub was actually a former professional basketball player named Gerald Brown. I don't know what's going on, but he's the sub at the time. So FH was found guilty of this final assault. He was found guilty in juvenile court of rape for this last assault and was sent to a detention center until he turns 18 which at this point has already happened because this was all 2007. In an article I read, there was a, a a non-involved professional but who had an interesting thing to say. His name was Perry Zirkel. He's an education law professor at Lehigh uh, University, which is in that area of Pennsylvania. And he said, you have reason to believe that this lion is mauling the lambs and so you move the lion into the lamb's lair. It sounds bad. It sounds like a terrible affirmative act to put the kid next to the bathroom. So, the school does not deny that the assaults happen, but in a $15 million federal lawsuit brought against the school district by three of the victims, they argued that they, the school argued that they cannot be held responsible for failing to protect students from assaults by other students. And the lawsuit was filed by the parents of these three victims who claimed that the Allentown school system concealed the assaults, quote, in an effort to veil the longstanding violence, end quote, in certain schools in this district. So, apparently, I I got a little, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I got a little confused reading some of the uh, coverage of this. But the U.S. District Judge Paul S. Diamond threw out half of the plaintiff's case and said he found no evidence that school officials had covered up the alleged abuse and made the situation more dangerous, which would have been necessary to do to prove that their constitutional rights were violated. Um, And he dismissed claims by five boys under the Civil Rights Act. But he did say that there might be enough evidence for a jury to find them guilty of a title 9 violation. Title 9 prohibits sex-based discrimination in any public school or school that gets money from the government. So the victim's attorneys had to show that some kind of sexual harassment occurred. So now this is like about sexual harassment instead of straight up like sexual assault. But the district's lawyer argued that the lawsuit overstated the extent to which teachers and administrators were aware of the attacks. And it's like, Did you know or did you not know? I don't understand. Like, you know, the second grader said he saw the first attack. So what's going on? And then they also had to prove that school officials knew about the attacks, did nothing to stop them, and that the victims were deprived of educational opportunities. So a Drexel University law professor named David Cohen, who specializes in sexual harassment and discrimination law, said... You have to prove, quote, it's not just that you knew about something and didn't do a good enough job in responding to it. It's that you intentionally ignored it, and that's very difficult to show that you intentionally ignored something. So they were letting the Title IX case go forward. He dismissed the Title IX claims by Junior Doe One, finding that before he was allegedly assaulted, school officials could not have known that he was attacking younger boys because he's the first victim, which seems like so fucking crazy, but again, this is civil and this is legal. It's not, it's civil. It's not about, it's like about them fucking up Title IX, not about whether the kid did it. So it's very fucked up. The the judge did say that the school district's response was, quote, wholly inadequate. So a nice slap on the wrist for the school district. Again, I cannot find what happened with this lawsuit. I'm assuming it kind of got dropped and it didn't happen. I think if they had won, it would have been big news, but I couldn't find anything. In 2012, the Justice Department put out a release where they said that the district had failed to, you know, implement the correct effective sexual harassment policies and basically said, we're going to work with Allentown now to make this new consent amendment and that's going to really help them. It it seems like a lot of like legal mumbo jumbo for PR to just say like, we're going to work better and making sure that everybody knows when sexual harassment's going on. But I mean, sexual harassment to me is very different than being assaulted in a bathroom. And the allegations made about the assistant principal saying like, don't call the cops, keep this quiet, seems like they were intentionally ignoring, but I guess it wasn't proved. And if somebody knows differently how this turned out, I'm assuming that the Lawsuit did not pan out because there's truly nothing about it. Whenever I Googled anything with news about it, it, like in recent articles about Allentown, Pennsylvania school board district, it was that they're being sued by one of their teachers who went to January 6th for, uh, they fired him. And he's saying that that's against his like First Amendment rights to free speech or whatever. So that's what's going on in Allentown. And um, yeah, so unfortunately, it feels like this case was based on that case. But then the whole media is the reason why a kid did it angle is the only thing that's missing here because I think this kid clearly had a, his, a past of sexual abuse and other issues that added to his becoming an offender.
1: And I wonder what he's doing as an adult. If I he, know. If what happened at, in, ju- in Juvie, you know? Is he better now?
0: I mean, there's no way to know because he's literally completely anonymous in the whole... Uh, filing. So he's just known as FH. So yeah, hopefully he got help in juvenile detention, but I don't think that that seems likely from what I hear about juvenile detention. But yeah, that's that on the red herring real case and the real real case. And now we have a (laughs) guest. Be right back. (laughs) Our guest today, oh my God, you guys, talk about a renaissance woman. She was a series regular on Life in Pieces and New Girl. She's written and directed the film's Band-Aid, The Craft Legacy, and How It Ends. The most important thing of all, Lisa met her at a Hanukkah party one time. And today, you know her as the Jewish Orthodox makeout artist, Faith. Guys, enjoy our connection and discussion with Zoe Lister-Jones.
1: I don't know if you remember, but we did meet at a Hanukkah party. I sure do.
2: It was very <laughs>
1: thrilling. Um, so yeah, that's that.
2: So that's that. <laughs> so we've got we've gotten the Jew thing out of the way. But so, we'll obviously get to SVU. But I
1: love following you on Instagram. You're such a fashion girl. Have you always been a fashion girl? What's your journey with fashion? <laughs>
2: um, my I was born I was born a fashion girl. I was a fashion girl in utero. Um, <laughs> you know what's my journey my thank you first of all um <laughs> uh my i i my mom was my mom and grandma are both uh pretty fashionable uh women so i think it yeah it was passed down to me it's, so i i love clothes um maybe too much i think i have an online shopping i mean i'm, I'm certain i have an online shopping addiction um <laughs> and um yeah i don't know that's well cool. and they're is also that good... it's
1: like but it's also a fun pose and you're always like in venice in like <laughs> blue water there's always a cliff it's like heels in a cliff
2: right 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 yeah no i am always in venice i that's, that's just my my zoom background <laughs> is, yeah um, <laughs> um no i i yeah you know i love a I i love a travel diary and then you know stick a heel in that you're you're pretty golden
1: Yeah. And your character in this episode with her velvet headband, a very fashionable Hasidic girl.
2: (laughs) You know, there. I would say that Hasidic women have to really lean on accessories. Right. If they have anything, that's what they have. That's what they got. Um, How was your... I have that
0: as a question on here. How was your orthodox wardrobe? Your little like white collar and was it itchy
2: or what? I'll tell you something. The year that I was on this episode of Law & Order, I played three other Orthodox women. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So it was a big year for me um, <laughs> and the world at large, I think, you know, because they got to um, really see that, that I had cornered this niche market <laughs> of, as an actor. So I was like pretty, by the time Law & Order came around, I had worn a lot of Orthodox garb. Well, and Law and Order, I don't remember what season we shot it in, but I had shot this movie called Arranged that was like an indie film in the summer, and that that garb was difficult because it was, yes, you know, a lot of like floor length denim skirts and stuff, you know, Um yeah. which now are pretty and- fashionable. Um so I, I was about say to that- say I just
1: tried on a denim skirt. I just tried on like um like an ankle length denim. So I didn't get it, but I did try it on. Do you regret not getting um, it? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs>
0: I do. <laughs> this reminds me, of course, of Sarah Silverman's bit where she's like, I don't think God would judge you for wearing a light cotton poly blend in the summer, you know, <laughs> when she sees Orthodox men. <laughs> but yeah. um, so, and you grew up in Brooklyn, Jewish, as we are both are as well, but not Orthodox. I mean, obviously not Hasidic, but were you like Orthodox? Did you like keep kosher? Were you like...
2: I wasn't Orthodox, but I did keep kosher. I was raised. Oh, okay. Yeah, my I I went to um a synagogue in Brooklyn that was conservative egalitarian, mm. uh, meaning for our non-Hebrew listeners, um, meaning like it was like Hebrew forward, but had a woman rabbi, a woman cantor. Oh, cool. Non like gender neutral God language. My mom was the president of the synagogue. But interestingly, we had like a um, Orthodox um, congregation below us in the same building. And they did not like that we had women on the Bima or like that my mom was the Ooh. president. So there's a lot of contention between the two congregations. And um, at one point they were like chanting down, my mom's name is Ardell. They were chanting down with the upstairs, down with Ardell. It was like really heavy duty. Whoa,
0: of <laughs> a, a totally different kind of upstairs downstairs battle that we've never seen before. Two and different, yeah. I'm ready to pitch.
2: Ready to pitch it, staff.
1: <laughs> um, also, if they didn't like it, they could have gotten out of the basement
2: and gone somewhere else. Like absolutely right. Well, they were our tenants. They were my congregation's tenants, and they were squatting. And my mom ended up having to take them to court, and she um, got a. Female nun as her lawyer, just to really like spice things up, oh my God,, so they Your did that sounds to leave. like a legend, so She's they left. legendary they left <laughs> they left, yeah, well, that's
1: so good to hear because I feel my biggest like um why I don't love religion is the women man thing, <laughs> like the subjugation of women is usually what turns me off of most major religions, and yeah. it's so cool that you got to like do Jewish traditions in an eli. I don't know how to say, egalitarian, egalitarian vibe. Way.
2: Yeah, totally. And it's funny because, like, I don't have a lot of friends who like going to synagogue, but I, like, love going to synagogue, um, probably because I was raised in, like, a super groovy uh, place. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was, like, espousing really important things about equity and and sort of, like, I mean, Judaism in general, I would say, is about, like, dissecting the text if you're doing it right and, like, questioning things. But... But yeah, that was really how I was raised, which was nice because it wasn't about the subjugation of women, whereas the Orthodox community, question marks. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, I don't have like, it, all of those Orthodox characters are honestly a blur to me. Like they all become the same one because I was yeah. that, I was in Law and Order. I was on a show called Delocated where I played an Orthodox um, girl on one episode like i was a i was a character throughout but then one episode i was i don't know playing orthodox then i was in a movie called goy band um which then the title changed which is a shame to falling star which was me and natasha leon playing orthodox jewish girls um oh, another a, svu alum <laughs> uh-huh, at a retreat in the Catskills um and then as i mentioned this this um movie called Arranged, which was written by an Orthodox Jewish woman. And we shot it like in Borough Park in Brooklyn, which is like the Orthodox community. So we were like in very deep.
0: Don't, yeah, embedded, I would say. Embedded. We um, were embedded. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, like, because I wanted to ask you about your accent. You have like a very good, like, Hasidic <laughs> accent, I feel like, or for what I understand to be the Hasidic accent, which is yeah. like, you know, a little bit Brooklyn y, but then like, uh, you think, you know, this old person world. knows Yiddish. Yeah. A
2: little old world. Yeah. It's got a little um, shtetl, shtetl in it.
0: Yeah. So like, like, cause my, I, my brother's name is Jacob, but the way that you say, leave Jacob alone, like, I don't know. It's like the way you say it, it's like a different way. Um,
1: but like, yeah, did all your Orthodox characters speak like that? Was this a specific?
2: They all did it. Okay. Um, that's my experience being like from Brooklyn hang, hanging in Borough Park. Like that was the, the accent that I studied yeah. that seemed pretty across the board for like orthodox like ultra orthodox like modern orthodox i think you know you got some wiggle room but um yeah. but yeah i think it's i haven't been given the opportunity to um to play another orthodox jewish woman they're mostly most most of those roles are now going to non-jewish women but um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> can't catch a break in this town um <laughs> But, but no, I haven't, I, I haven't done it again. But I, yeah, that, that year in particular, I really, it was no thing. That you accent, just like, that accent just was, yeah, it was living in me. yeah ticking uh, just booking all the orthodox roles booking booking yeah
1: (laughs) and i do want to say the makeout scene is weird he's standing over you in a strange way like no one would make out that way what did (laughs) what what, do you remember the block or anything he's like hunched over i mean i think it's because they need they need the man to fully cover her
0: body and also make you think that it's it's a child and so he's standing over going you going
2: kiss 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 (laughs) it's so funny I think I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. That was really because now what I'm remembering is like the what's it called like spirit gum because he had like a fake beard. Yeah, and it was like just like a lot of like me eating um like like beard glue. Yeah. My
0: literal next question was: Do you remember that scene where Christopher Maloney pulls your secret boyfriend off of you? Like so, tell us. Besides eating the beard, any other remem- remembrances?
2: Eating the beard is a good phrase. Um, (laughs) You know, no, I remember, I remember Chris Maloney being um, sweet, like a nice guy, like very friendly, engaged in conversation. You know, like, I I don't know if you know this trivia about me, but it's one of my proudest, um, like, factoids, um, which is that I was on all four Law and Orders. And so, uh, you know, not all the detectives were super nice. Chris Maloney was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and he took his job seriously. I have that in my notes. Trial by
0: jury, criminal intent, law and order regular, and special victims unit, all within like three years. You just kind of ticked off not even the tr- like the Trinity. You really did, I don't know what you call like the qu- the four version uh, of a Trinity. Right. But like you killed Which, it.
2: Thank you so much. And I do, <laughs> I, I hope that I hold like some sort of record, because not that many people <laughs> were on trial by jury. There was just a few of us. It was short-lived, yeah.
1: Wait, so as a New Yorker and a Brooklynite, when you, got, when you were cast in these, was it a big deal?
2: Well, it was a huge deal because I was pretty f- fresh out of acting school. I went to NYU. And, um, like, Law and Order is a bat mitzvah. It's like you must. <laughs> if you don't, then you're, you have no stripes. So, um, so the first one... That i booked i was so excited on that one i played um the sister of the victim um who was like killed by her basketball playing like nba boyfriend um so i had to like that was a lot of crying for me um in addition to playing a lot of orthodox jewish women i was also crying all the time um (laughs) And so I, that was, I, I, called that like that time of my life prying for cash because <laughs> it's all I did. And so that I was that. And then I played, um, a junkie on criminal intent. And I, my body, my dead body was found in a box. And then, um, and then I played a actual, a, a rape victim who murdered her rapist. So that was Ooh. the big, that was a really, that was you know, juicy, um, and then and then this one. So you so, were like
1: a pro by this one. You don't have yeah. to cry or <laughs> wait. No, I just so had to, yeah, what's your crying process?
2: We always want to. Know. Is that an easy thing for you? Is that uh, yeah? I, know. I have a lot of access to sadness, <laughs> um, but I but on that one because I was so young and new and nervous, and it was really one of my first professional if not my first professional like gig, I um, learned about the menthol stick, which is like a little trick that if you can't cry, the makeup artist blows menthol into your eyeball and they burn and then you just start tearing. So I had her do that, but then I I worked it up. I, and now, yeah, now I just cry because there's so much to cry about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just getting over the hump. I I listen to music, that's a big one. Is like I have a I have a lot of like sad mixes. Wow. You know, I've I've talked to actresses who have like psychotic tr- like rituals to get tears up that are like much more technical. I just think about sad things. But like you know, this one actress was like, you raise your soft palate and keep your eyes super open, and then like tears just start falling, or like. You know, I don't I don't do that.
0: Wow. I just want to know one song on your sad mix.
1: That's a great question, Karen.
0: <laughs> mm. Um you don't have to get into the whole soundtrack. I just want to know like one.
2: One that kills me is um The Park by Feist. Ooh, okay. It's a it's a good one because like it's a slow burn, but then her voice does something at the end that is just so gutting. And that's when it really... Okay. But it's sort of like edging, you know, like because <laughs> yeah. like the whole, like leading up to action, you're basically just edging. You're like, you can't fully cry yet because you want to save it, but you're like getting so close.
1: Yeah. So wow. what do you, do you have like headphones right on set? Do you do yeah. that in your room? Okay. So, all right. Wow. It's
2: just yeah, and so I, hard. I just, um I created a, tv series that i acted in and directed that is coming out um this spring on roku called slip anyway it's on our list um, <laughs> of questions i do need i'm to very say that. excited to talk about it but <laughs> yes. on that one which was you know like directing and acting and show running but like i had my my like i had one headphone in because so many people were asking me questions as the director but i would like I had the music sort of running as I could answer the questions. And then like oh, 30 seconds wow. before I'd be like, no more questions. I got to go edge, you know? Yeah. Oh, damn. What is that show? <laughs> it's called Slip. And um, it's about a woman who's like feeling trapped in her marriage. and But is like, it's a totally functional marriage. She's just feeling very restless. And one night she has a lapse of judgment and cheats on her husband and um wakes up the next morning and realizes she's now married to the guy she cheated on her husband with and over the course of the season she learns that um through orgasm she's teleporting into a multiverse in which she can now like um wow have different inhabit all of the parallel relationships that she's in in these um varying universes and the whole time she's like trying to get back to the life that she identified as her own but is like you know
1: wow and so you said you directed acted show so you wrote this too yeah i wrote it yeah so where did the inspo come from is a science fictiony too or like sliding i'm really excited
2: it's, thank you. It's definitely fantastical, but it's very grounded. Um, uh, you know, I think I've, I am a person who maybe like a lot, I think there are a lot of people like this um, who like when you meet someone that you have a connection with, you just like see a future immediately. Like I, I do that sort of um, chronically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I wanted to explore what it would look like to actually live those fantasies out and see the realities of of what those fantasies would would actually look like, which is generally speaking, um, they're not, never going to be as good as the thing that you're <laughs> um, fantasizing about with with these people that you barely know. Um, so that was part of it. You know, it's like it's. Uh, I think also, I wrote it in quarantine. Um, I wrote all, all the episodes in quarantine because I was. Um, you know, in that place of feeling quite trapped and sort of suffocated by the circumstances and wanting an escape. And, um, and I think uh, also, you know, was in the midst of separating from my husband. And so there was a lot of like personal things that I was pulling from. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, I'm always really interested in like the mechanics of love. Um, and looking for ways to explore them that are maybe a little more like high concept or um, fantastical. So, um, so this felt like a cool way to also explore um, like a woman's sexuality and pleasure and, and what that looks like when it's being directed by a woman. Because um, it is a pretty sex forward show.
1: well does this happen nicole byer talked about this once where it's like in the writer's room you're writing all these things for yourself and then when you're on set and you're like fuck i have to do this now did you have any of those kind of moments
2: i mean yeah well i didn't have a writer's room which which was just just me but um but yeah like i i there's definitely those moments sex scenes are are scary like (laughs) they they are not sexy when you're doing them um but they're still terrifying and to be you know naked and i think naked so vulnerable and also calling cut and running to monitor in between takes and doing all those things like the combination of those things was super empowering but also terrifying um yeah but i think it, it it's like um like anything sort of invigorating to dive into something that scary and wild and like (laughs) not normal to be doing. Um, And like, I think because all of the actors that were opposite me were also scared, it's kind of nice to just like embrace that in a way that you never get to do in real Life sex, you know, where two people can be really honest about like, this is so, I feel so nervous, you know, <laughs> which is <laughs> what everyone's actually thinking when they're actually having sex. So yeah, it was, and we had a, an intimacy coordinator and that was always helpful too. Um, I, I would also love to use an intimacy coordinator in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can learn a lot, learn a lot from these experiences. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: Okay, so now that I know you do all of this stuff, I saw something on your IMDb and I think on one of your parents from 1986 called Zoe's Car. Me too. What is that?
2: (laughs) So my mom, uh, her name is Ardell Lister. She's a a video artist and she made a video in 86 called Zoe's Car that I was the star of. I was four years old um, and it's like about... Uh a four-year-old girl whose like mom like orders um like farm animals from like a magazine cutout and then like starts getting all this junk mail. One piece of this junk mail says that I want a car because it's in my name. So like a four-year-old wins a car. You know, it's like a short exploration of just like capitalism. Okay. Um, but it was my first acting role. And I love um, that
0: they I love <laughs> that they put it up on IMDb. <laughs>
2: Like <laughs> I didn't realize it was on IMDb. Yeah,
1: and you can click on Ardell's name. She has oh, a, good. She has a page okay, as good.
2: well. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it links to her website. She's she's brilliant and and prolific, and um, I learned so much about filmmaking from her. Um, Even though she does, she's not a narrative filmmaker, but she she exposed me to a lot of really cool shit very young.
1: (laughs) Wow! So you were as the mother of an
0: almost four year old, I really can't imagine directing her in any kind of way. Yeah, I would like yeah. to see it though. Yeah, I'd love to try. <laughs> I would love that. Oh, yeah, do it. She's like the most opinionate. Like she will not. She will, when I put my phone on her, she's like, "No, leave me alone." So I don't think that that would really oh, be interesting in her. You know,
2: it's a different a little, time for because children understand so early, right? Like that phones are yeah. everywhere in their face.
0: Yeah, she told a babysitter the other day, no pictures while I'm relaxing. So, oh you know, God. she has she has things on her rider and we have to adhere to them or we will be in trouble. That <laughs> oh, that is
1: amazing. Oh, that is amazing. I have an embarrassing question, but I do want to know this. Have you met Tom Hanks?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Great. I won't Wait, I why, follow.
0: Is that oh, you played you were played with his son in a show?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I, just I love. To know. I I love no the follow way you up. Asked that. You just
2: want to know. <laughs> that's very tasteful, Lisa. I love the way that you uh, you 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 opened it up and you shut it right down. And I think that's yeah. exactly that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> you know, somebody just posted something over the weekend that was like a kid in their life that was like, you know, nine or ten goes. Wait, is the guy who plays David S. Pumpkin still alive? And they were like, that's so funny to me that that kid to that kid. That guy is David S. Pumpkins, not Tom Hanks. Like, Americans. <laughs> America's, like, beloved, like, hero. He's just David S. Pumpkins.
2: Oh, my God. That's amazing. No, you know what? The the first time that I met Tom Hanks was before I ever uh, worked with Colin or knew Colin. Oh. And I was in a play around the same time that I was doing SVU. I was in a play at the Second Stage Theater called The Little Dog Laughed. And, um... It was, like, a big hit. And so, like, all of these, like, very exciting celebrities would come. They'd come to the green room. And um, and Tom Hanks came, and he was in the elevator with my aunt and uncle who were in town from Canada, my mom. They were all, like, freaking out. And he was, like, the loveliest, kindest oh. person to them. And they were just so excited. Um, so, so yeah, he's a, a lovely person. <laughs> I'm so glad your aunt and uncle got to meet David S. Pumpkins. That's amazing. It was big for them. It was big for them. You know what was so fun about auditioning for Law & Order back in the day was um, at the time, like the casting office, you would sit and wait next to this like library of VHS tapes. And on the VHS tape was just like every famous person's name. It was like Brad Pitt, like literally Brad Pitt. Like every... (laughs) one you could ever think of who had auditioned for Law and & Order. And you were just like, it was such an amazing environment to be like, oh, I'm among the greats.
0: They could like <laughs> release a documentary cut of all those auditions and I would like go to the theater, like run.
2: To 100%. The to watch. <laughs> 100%. It would be major box office. <laughs>
0: well... I he mean a this lot. has been an amazing convo. I don't know, if, Lisa, <laughs> do you have anything else you want to No,
1: but I think you should um talk about the show that's coming out one more time and the name and stuff so people can find Slip. it. Flip Roku.
2: May. May. Amazing. We okay. got some time, but put it in your calendars now. Yes. <laughs> and um and and yeah, and then and, and buy your Roku TV if you don't have one. And then I'll see y'all on Law and Order as defense attorney Uh, Esther Horowitz. (laughs) That's That's a perfect name. Oh
0: God, we all know Esther Horowitz. She's a ball buster, you know? That's who you're gonna be. You're gonna be like lawyer, defense attorney to the stars.
2: Yeah, oh I would love that.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you'd be expensive. You'd be expensive. (laughs) obsessed with her oh my god I love her I also love like that she had creative parents but also traditional in the way of religion but also not with cool yeah you know I was about to say futuristic rabbi but what I meant was a woman (laughs) just a woman (laughs) um just a woman I am a futuristic rabbi I'm into someone that like is writing, making projects throughout, inspired by life. I don't know. I'm excited to watch her show. Like, I would like to do another party with her, honestly. So, yeah, yeah. This is our postmortem. Um, what else do we want to say? Don't be religious. Well, in the
0: end of this one, I mean, in the in the real life crime, yes, but in the, the end of this episode, the religion thing was like a full red herring, and it was more about kids watching porn and thinking that's what like sexes and that's turning them into rapists. I don't agree with that, but you know But it's
1: definitely not healthy, but it's what we always talk about when like um children or young people or any or adults are exhibiting symptoms of abuse or weird things and then we're more mad at the symptom than the cause where it's just mm-hmm. like it's not even that he's watching porn it's like the dad doesn't talk to him there's no communication he doesn't have friends mm-hmm. like there's all this other stuff where it's like why is this kid watching porn nonstop? like yeah you know what i mean put the put the fucking dad in jail how about that you know like why is your kid able to watch cinemax all fucking day like, yeah. I, I don't know. Because this is totally not the same. But it's like um the Michigan, shoot the, the high school shooter whose parents are being charged, I think, with murder, too, or something. Really? Or something like that. Yeah. He's, oh, I didn't even know about he, that. I think he turned on them because he asked for help a lot. I only saw a quick thing. I don't want to, like, go on the record with this news. But I saw one article that he pled guilty. And he's just, like, I think he's probably pissed at his parents. Wow. Like he asked them for help and they just never helped him. Yeah. And the school didn't care. They just kept buying him guns and like the school kept being like, can you just please help your kid? He's a psycho. And like the parents, <sighs> I think, are these gun toting kind of people and they didn't help him. At, but to plead guilty, it mean, like, I think it was just that the, you know, he won't be put to death. But yeah, I, I think he, I think he was turned on his parents or something, but the parents are being charged. And like, I don't think this is the same as shooting at like your classmates. obviously watching, yeah. porn. but I get that, but the, he raped. Maybe it is this. I mean, I don't know.
0: Yeah. But also you
1: can't just blame parents. Like some kids are psycho, but I'm just saying like, if your kid is watching <laughs> porn all day and night, I, right. how that's on you, bitch. That's on you, dad. Yeah.
0: I mean, the episode's definitely like trying to indict porn a little bit. And it's like, but they screamed stop and he's like, that's what they do in the in the movie. You know, it's like they like it, right? Like, sure. Just,
1: but he also knows that you know, a bomb explodes people. Like you I watch yeah. Con Air all the time. I'm not hijacking yeah. a plane.
0: Like, my God. Con Air is your contact for Katya. You know, Katya talks about contact all the time. Yeah. That's your Con Air. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, post-mortem is like, don't like really b- well, barely trust your of, kids alone yes. with anyone or with any computer. <laughs> or and, like, don't
1: watch your kids like a fucking hawk at all times. Well, it's kind of like this. And this relates to a lot of the subject matter we talk about. But when they say like men that are violent in the home, like domestic abusers, like, oh, I lost control. I lost control. And there's like um, a quote where it's like, no, you didn't lose control because you're not doing this at work. You're not doing this with your guy friends. You're not doing this at a party. You're doing it yeah. in home. You're actually fully in control of what you're doing. Yeah. And so- that's the whole thing with this too it's like i'm sure he's watching action movies too not just fucking he's not out there stabbing he's out there shooting it's like you can't you can't really do like i didn't know the consequences it's like but you did for all these other things um yeah and that's the domestic violence thing where it's like i'm so sorry i just i was angry or something and it's like i'm sure you get angry at your boss you're not punching him are you yeah so, I don't know. I You know, Frex always, our, my friend always tells me, she's like, life is not an Instagram post. You can't just speak in Instagram, like, quotes and posts. <laughs> and saying, she's like, there's more nuance to life. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Is there. <laughs> is there. Um, but, um, yeah. this, but great acting. I'd like to say what else I learned. Oh, yeah. This little boy is an incredible actor. Zoe, crying on a dime. You know what I mean? Like, these are, yeah. these are actors.
0: The dad was a good actor. I mean, like everybody Dude, I,
1: this, I saw this in person. Michelle had to cry on set this week. And this one, we were chit-chatting. We were like talking about Eric Andre. We were like, bah, 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 and then it was just like places, action. And then when the scene was over, tears in her eyes. It was incredible. It's incredible to watch. Yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She goes, it's my craft. What are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? But it I, I couldn't, I I I don't know if I had seen, I see, I saw cat. Cohen do it on stage once, just like cry like that. But yeah, I yeah, you've told news, but I've never. But seeing another person do it, it is like just so impressive. Yeah, well,
0: Zoe told us how she does it, but you can also get that stuff she told us about.
1: Well, hot, um, I watched that Hot Wings show, Hot Sauce, Hot Ones. Yeah, Kate Blanchette was on Hot Ones. It's a great show. I really want to be. So on So Kate
0: Blanchette had something written on her hands. Uh, in her hot ones, and I'm in this Facebook group that like uh, likes to solve stupid mysteries, and like everybody was like, we have to find out what's written on Cape Blanchett's hands when she's on hot ones, and what is it? you it's so hard to figure out I left the thread I can't really I, I. but everybody was like I think I see the word Newark like people were like posturing all this stuff about that hot ones with Kate Blanchett
1: well she Um. what was awesome was she like asked him questions but it was like sincere and inquisitive and like beautiful in this way that I don't think anyone's spoken to him before and she just was like how did you when did you know that this was your gift and he was like oh my god like Kate Blanchett telling you you have this <laughs> she gift
0: she was just Fully Kate Blanchetting him.
1: Yeah. I but, I but the point I was trying to make was she goes, Oh, well, next time I need to cry on stage, I know to d- take a pinky of this hot sauce. But um, an old acting teacher told her, if you have to cry and you can't, you move side stage and you rip a nose hair out.
0: How? I can't get to my Ow. Girl, I don't think I can get to my nose <laughs> hair. Yeah, so I just quickly. saw her
1: truly attack herself, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's Kate Blanchett. That's why she has two Oscars, and I think she's about to win a third. People yeah. love this Tar movie, you know, I'm going to see it. I'm never going to see Tar, I don't think. You, the way it was explained, I don't think I have an interest. To me, because I've never seen a Woody Allen movie, but like I saw Blue Jasmine. I, I remember Elizabeth when I was a kid and I saw Elizabeth, that changed my life. And then Gwyneth Paltrow's dumbass won the Oscar and I was like, oh, this is rigged. The whole world is rigged. Like that's when I realized <laughs> life is fake. But Kate Blanchett, to me, like, if she's in an award-winning, I, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. yeah. I'm seeing it.
0: Okay, maybe I'll watch it on a plane or something. I just like was hearing it's just like a character. It's like a vehicle for her. And it's like there's no story and it's just kind
1: of, I don't know. Well, you hated her other one that didn't have a story. You hated the what happened to (laughs) Bridge.
0: I did not like Where'd You Go, Bernadette. There was a story and I didn't like the story. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't like the way they did that. She's always amazing. Like, you know, I'm never going to shake a stick at her. Anyway. Let's get into our what would Sister Peg do because we could truly talk about Kate Blanchett until the cows come home. I've also never seen hot ones so I should watch one. But what would Sister Peg do is our weekly segment where we direct you guys to an article, a book, a podcast. I mean, we try not to take you to another podcast, but sometimes we have to, of uh, just to inform more of the subject that we tackled in today's episode. And for this week's What Would Sister Peg do segment, we'd like to point you to the organization Zaaka. Um, and that's Z-A-Apostrophe A-K-A-H. This was actually suggested to us by a listener. I'm sorry I did not jot your name down, but thank you so much. You know who you are. You're the only person that suggested it to me. Um, This group's mission is dedicated to, quote, advocating for survivors of child sexual abuse in the Orthodox Jewish community, end quote. Um, They raise awareness in the community, organize and participate in educational events for parents and teachers on how to identify and correctly handle suspicions and disclosures of child sexual abuse, and advocates for legislative reforms designed to prevent sexual abuse in the future, and secure justice for survivors. So there's more at www.zaakah.org, www.zaakah.org.
1: Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And next week we will be doing Secrets Exhumed, season 14, episode 14. Please join us on another Twisted Tale. You asked for it. You're getting it. Yeah, you guys have been so asking for it. And I'm so um, grateful for the What Would Sister Peg Do? Because as we know, like places that are in hierarchies and trust elders and religion, that's like, it's ripe for abuse and really hard to talk about it. And so it is very important. And um, go to Peacock. All right, I'm out of (laughs) here.
0: Bye, guys. See you next week.
1: That's Messed Up is an exactly right
0: production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messeduppod at gmail.com.
1: Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at messed up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes
0: for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Cotner.
1: And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song, and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers,
0: Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media.
2: Dun dun.
0: Follow That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.